Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson. Karlsson, är så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Karlsson, Karlsson, Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keep Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are so happy to have at least one Carlson back from injury and playing in the NHL again. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, to break down all of the NHL action from the past week, it's my very good friend, maybe even my best friend, also known as the Poobah Prognostication, the IVP MVP, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. I hope you've all had a wonderful week in your fantasy hockey pools and your life, right? Let's remember the balance that you need between those. Uh, We really want to help you in both those aspects, but our specialty is on the fantasy hockey side. Our patrons can ask us for life advice at our uh, upcoming patron cast midweek, like on Wednesday, Uh, but they do that at their own peril. Anyway, it's really, thank you for making us a part of your weekly routine and for joining us for another episode on which we're going to have a whole lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be a really fun show this week. Last week, we went through the top 16 teams in the league and gave like you know all the fantasy takes we could think of from those teams. So this week, we're going through the rest, the, the dregs of the league. We'll start from the bottom and count our way up. Some teams have even uh, jumped from the bottom uh, 16 to the top 16 since then. But don't worry, we, we kept track, so we'll make sure to cover all of the teams. So we'll be completing the set after this week's episode. And of course, we'll also jump into some news and notes from some of the teams we talked about last week that have some new updates to share. So we're going to you know get a lot of content to you over this next hour and a half to who am I kidding like two hours and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun before we get to that a couple news and notes from ourselves here at Keep It Carlson first of all we're super proud to be presented by DauberHockey.com it's the number one fantasy hockey website in the world we totally recommend you check it out honestly I'm not even saying this just because it's like you check it out every day like I actually do check it out every day to check out the latest articles they have really smart people who give great fantasy advice plus the tools of Frozen Tools are phenomenal so check it out DauberHockey.com number two Here's the thing that Brian and I are going to do. Normally, we ask at the end of the show, but maybe some people like tune out once I say to read the credits. So I thought, why not try right at the start? It would really help us out. If you're a fan of the show, if you could give us a review, like a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, apparently that's like pretty big. Like our uh, Blue Wire friends were telling us, hey guys, are you like asking for reviews? And then we were like, yeah, I mean, at the end of the show, I pop it in and then they're like, "Uh, you should maybe do that and like ask people because it's actually going to help you grow the show and whatever. So I know that a lot of you maybe don't want to recommend the show to your friends because you know, you want to have an edge, you know, especially to the people in your leagues. So this is like a really cheap, easy way for you to help out the show without, you know, exposing your interest in us to your league mates. Just to be super specific, it's not just a five-star review. It's a five-star written review. Like when you write a comment to go with your five stars, we'd really appreciate it. We'd appreciate it so much that we're, uh, we're willing to, uh, to throw a little contest out there. Yeah, we're going to put on a little, uh, yeah, we got a little contest, I guess. I don't know if you'd call it a contest, more of like a draw or a raffle, whatever whatever the, the kids call it these days. But basically, for the rest of the month of November, we're going to be watching our five-star reviews with comments that come in. And any review that comes in until the end of the month, tweeted us at Keeping Carlson, just with like, you know, a screenshot to show us that you uh, left us a review. And then we're going to do a raffle at the end of the month. The winner is going to get a cool Keeping Carlson t-shirt with our awesome logo. 
you know, so if you're interested in that, please leave us a review. Let me re- actually read you. I wanted to read a couple really good ones that came in recently. We had a review from a listener. I mean, there's like a lot of really nice ones, but of course it's nice to also read the ones that made me chuckle a little bit. Uh, someone named Sangria Girls and then Kiss Face Emoji wrote, I've never watched hockey in my life and I'm hooked. The short circuit guys know what's up. Thanks for keeping me up to date. So this is someone who, uh, I guess, doesn't watch hockey, but for some reason listens to a fantasy hockey podcast and thinks that our uh, weekly show by Ben and Lewis is called Short Circuits. Uh, But we totally appreciate the five-star review. Thank you. Also, uh, The Gerg wrote back on October 19th, University professor across the pond in Daegu, South Korea. Fancy hockey is the link that keeps me in touch with my boys from Canada, and KK is the anchor that gives me a leg up in the league. Seeing as I can't watch most of the games live because of the time difference, KK is essential for the latest news, notes, and decent banter. Well, it's decent, which is fair, right? We're, we're mainly here to provide the content, and if we could give you even like a modicum of decent banter, then I think we're doing our job. So thanks so much to uh, Greg from SoCo, and thanks to everyone who's left us a review, and uh, thanks in advance to anyone who will do so moving forward. Yeah, please join our Michael Raffle. I think that's what the kids are calling it these days. And with that portion of the episode over, Elon, why don't we get to this week's fantasy news notes and analysis? Let's do it. And and friendly, somewhat decent banter. Let's do it. So, uh, like I said, we're going to go through all the teams starting at the bottom, which means we're starting in Arizona. Uh, The Coyotes lost again on Saturday, bringing them to a sad 113-1 record. They're doing the tank right. Buffalo can't figure it out. We're going to get to Buffalo like a lot later in the show because they, for some reason, can't figure out how to tank because they keep scoring goals and getting decent goaltending. But Arizona knows what they're doing. Uh, they keep losing. But hey, Jacob Chikrin finally scored his first of the season on the power play in the third on Saturday. So I'm sure there's a lot of anyone who's hung on to Jacob Chikrin must have been like super excited to finally get some production out of the guy. He also had four shots in that game. He's back on the top power play. Remember for a while, Chikrin was off the power play one, but he's back there with Gosses Behar, of course, as well. And then Kessel Keller and Barrett Hayton. Uh, so uh, Chikrin four shots uh 22 shots in his last six games so chicken just keeps putting pucks on net finally one got past a goalie i'm still not sure he's like worth holding in most formats i've kind of been telling people that they should be considering dropping chicken over these last couple of weeks and obviously then they missed out on the goal but i don't know how many more of these goals will be coming you know it seems like they're gonna be very few and far between at this point like ben and lewis talked about on a recent short shifts episode the most exciting part of the goal is probably more so that shane gosses picked up another assist it was a power play assist by the way and that brings gosses to 12 points in 15 games on the season seven points in his last five games. This is like a 70-point pace, Shane Gossesbehera almost. So, Brian, uh, I know that Ben and Lewis covered this, but I just got to get your take here. Is there any chance in the world that Gossesbehera can keep this up? Like, he's done it before, right? He's been a 70-point defenseman on Philly. How is he on a pace like this on a team that never scores? I'm going to get to Gossesbehera, but first, I just want to slow down and talk about Shikran for a bit, because I I know you're down on him, Elon, and I I just think it's still worth mentioning. For anybody who still has some patience for him— Jacob Shikrin is shooting at a rate similarly to last year at five on five. His big problem remains that he's on Arizona, but that's not even his biggest problem. But of course, it's a problem that Shikrin plays for the Coyotes, and that's a team still trying to put an offense together that even looks similar to last season. Uh, But if you look at just how badly the Coyotes are doing with Shikrin's on the ice, it's it's even worse than you would have expected from Arizona. Shigrin's on-ice expected goals for is down nearly one expected goal per 60 compared to the year prior. And the actual amount of goals scored per 60 minutes while Shigrin's on the ice is 0.21, which just for context, that's like at least two goals per 60 lower than you'd expect 
a bad situation to be in itself. 0.21 is unheard of. Like if I'm going to make a shooting percentage analogy, that's like a guy who's normally shooting uh, 11% shooting 2%. Like this is inhumane what's happening to Jacob Shikrin while he's on the ice. While he's on the ice, speaking of shooting percentage, Arizona has scored one time on 112 shots at five on five. That's a 0.9 on a shooting percentage for Jacob Shikrin below one. And meanwhile, uh, the Coyotes have given up 17 goals against. So look, I still think Shikrin is better than what he's showing. He can't control how everyone else is shooting while he's on the ice. And honestly, even the Coyotes deserve better than what they've gotten so far. So I still think Shikrin can be a 40-point guy with plenty of shots because the shot rates have held, especially now that he's back on the power play. He's still shooting. There's just been terrible team luck. And it goes beyond just saying Shikrin's in Arizona, so he can't succeed. Uh, He's on Arizona getting the worst run of luck that I've seen a team get to start the year while he's on the ice. So I'm I still think there's room for bounce back. I'm not as done with him as I am with, say, Jeff Petrie, who we'll touch on later in the show. So I just wanted to get that out of the way right off the hop. As for Ghost Despair, who you would think I'd be chomping at the bit to talk about, right? Because I did mention at the start of the season, hey, I think there's a chance he gets on the top power play unit. And I've always, always, always had time for Shane Ghost Despair, more time than his coaches have given him. Um, but it's really nice to see Ghost Despair succeeding as a coyote now. Arizona, I mentioned they were shooting less than 1% with Shikrin on the ice. They're shooting 10% with Gostas Bear on the ice. And I actually think that's largely the difference in Gostas Bear's and Shikrin's numbers. So Arizona is also generally playing better offensively. They have more expected goals per 60 minutes with Gostas Bear on the ice. So read into that what you will. Um, cause both, I was trying to figure out, well, is it their, their partners? Who are they playing with? And Gostas Bear and Shikrin have sort of flipped partners, um, through the year. They've each spent time playing with Anton Strawman. And Dyson Mayo. Yes, there's a guy named Dyson Mayo playing in the top four in Arizona. I think Gosses Bear could legit pace for more points than Shikrin through the season. And also while putting up decent shots, not quite as many as Shikrin, but decent shots. I don't think his current 66 point pace is going to hold. But I do think that if Gosses Bear could hold this top power play deployment, and I don't see why he wouldn't, he could notch 15 to 20 power play points and then put up enough at five on five to stay relevant and rosterable all year. Yeah, I guess the one thing I'll ask you is when you're talking about how, like, Chickren's been having bad luck because, like, there's not many goals when he's on the ice and Gossip Hair is getting, like, so many more goals when he's on the ice and you don't know exactly why. Like, couldn't one, like, almost, like, the most likely explanation be that, like, Gossip Hair is, like, playing better and, like, helping there to be more goals? While he, like, you know, there's goals happening while Gossip Hair's on the ice, not just because he's just lucky to be on the ice with goals. I'm sure he's helping to contribute to these goals. And yes. Chickren's obviously taking a lot of shots, which seems nice. And obviously then the advanced stats will say that, yeah, he has a low shooting percentage. But also, I guess, I guess if we really wanted to do our homework, we go look at these shots and see if it's just like he's been running into like brick walls of goalies and he's taking these amazing shots or if these are like you know like weak shots from the point uh, anyways obviously it's like a very complicated game there's lots going on but uh yeah obviously i, I just want to give gossiper credit for like helping to, for more goals to happen while he's on the ice than chikrin for sure and i'll answer your question by saying like arizona's expected goals for with gossip bear on the ice is around 2.2 goals per 60 expected and chikrin's at 1.6 expected goals per 60 which is really low last year Shikrin's expected goals rates per 60 was 2.4, so a little higher than Gostas Bears. And Gostas Bears has actually never been that high in his entire career. So it's always been pretty low. Um, so I would think 
That's why I was looking at their partners. I would think that Shikrin is doing as good, like, is capable of doing as good a job as Gostas Bear, but I'm not sure um, what exactly has been getting him down. Like, I, I agree. There is something, like, there's less uh, dangerous offense being generated with Shikrin on the ice in Arizona this year than Gostas Bear and compared to previous years with Shikrin. So we'll just have to keep watching and see if that evens out. There's still red flags around Shikrin. I'm just saying it doesn't look quite as dire as it does on the straight up score sheet. Yeah, and I agree with you. Like when when you say like you have confidence that Chikrin will bounce back. Like I mean, I do too. I don't think he's going to get two points in his next fifteen games, like he got in these fifteen games. But I don't know if he's going to get more than like four, five points, which still would be nothing near what people were hoping for when they drafted, and probably nothing near worth holding in a lot of leagues. So he'll have to really bounce back to get you know to doing something that's worth holding. But yeah, obviously it depends how deep your league is. You could always tweet at this at Kevin Carlson for your Chikrin drop advice, though you're going to get a pessimistic Elon. Though he did score a goal, so I'm curious to now to at least hold for one more game, see if he can you know build on that. Momentum. Also worth noting that the goalie in Arizona, Carol Vemalka, has put up three straight really bad starts in a row. That's a stat over on Frozen Tools, which uh, we don't need to get into. It's, just, it's bad. It's a really bad start. It's a very well-described stat. And uh, recent waiver acquisition, Scott Wedgwood, has now put up two quality starts in his in a row in his first two games with the Coyotes. So, you know, back when Vemalka, you know, joined the team and then Carter Hutton pooped the bed, it seemed like, okay, Vemalka actually, even though he's probably not going to win much, was looking like you might be able to get this like volume goalie who's actually not terrible now it's looking like that's no longer the case like both in terms of like I don't know if Van Malka is going to be able to sustain decent numbers and even if he can you know bounce back a little bit I don't think he's going to be a volume guy anymore it looks like why wouldn't Arizona just go 50-50 if Wedgwood is doing better at least in the short term all that to say I think it's probably time to ditch the milkman like if you added him then we're just like okay I guess I'll hold on since he's playing all the time at least in the short term he's not gonna be playing all the time right I'd imagine Wedgwood probably gets the next game next week and maybe starts getting two in a row if he keeps playing decently so I'm definitely not saying like go and grab Wedgwood and like drop someone good for him because he's Scott Wedgwood and we've seen what he can do. But I'm just kind of saying now neither goalie is especially interesting outside of a stream against a team that you're not scared of because either way they might just let in a lot of goals and blow you up. Yeah, you're in trouble if you're starting for the Arizona Coyotes. And Scott Wedgwood, while there have been brief moments of sunshine, uh, like he had a really great run with the Devils. I I think when he came onto the scene in his first NHL action ever at the age of 23, this is back in 1516, he put up a 957 save percentage over four starts, uh, which was amazing. Way to go, Scott Wedgwood. But ever since then, uh, we haven't seen him quite hit those heights until now with Arizona, which we don't expect to sustain over his career. He's a 902 goalie has always had like about a 40% quality start percentage. So a pretty good chance he is going to blow you up when you play him. But like you said, Elon, if you're someone who was trying out Vemalka earlier in the season, uh, because you were hoping for some volume, then Wedgwood is like in the same tier now, but beware. Yeah, it's 50-50. Uh, it's not like a, like Wedgwood as It might not even exciting. be 60-40, like bad. Oh, like 60 to Wedgwood? I guess probably. Like, who is this Bay Melka guy, right? He just joined the league. So why not just go with the more veteran goalie? Though they are trying to lose. So it's a whole other complicated <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, I actually meant like, into, I thought you were talking like a coin flip for whether it's going to be a good start or bad start. I'm not oh. just saying it's more likely to be bad. But you're talking timeshare. And I agree with you. I could see whoever wins staying in and i could see the team winning like one out of every five games so it's gonna be a lot of back and forth 
Right. So that's Arizona. That's one team down, uh, 15 to go. So let's go next to the second worst team in the league as of now. And that's the Seattle Kraken, who are definitely not having a Vegas-esque start to the season. Uh, they're 4-10-1 and now. Their 4-2 loss to Rem Pitlick and the Wild yesterday was their fourth loss in a row. Uh, Philip Grubauer, speaking of goalies that are disappointing us, Grubauer is really starting to look like a bust. He's gone five straight starts without a save percentage above 9.05. Four of those are actually a lot lower than 9.05. That 9.05 is the outlier. He sits at an 8.80 save percentage on the season after 12 games, after that three goals against on 21 shots on Saturday. So Grubauer has not been good at all, like nothing like what we saw last year in Colorado. Meanwhile, Chris Drieger is back from the IR. He played one game so far since returning from his injury, and it was not good either. Four goals against on 23 shots in the 4-2 loss to Vegas earlier in the week. So, Brian, uh, wh- what do we make of this goaltending situation in Seattle? Like, is this just an issue with the team just being bad and, like, any goalie is not likely going to be able to succeed there? Or is it possible that Drieger may be fine? He had a bad game because it was his first game back and he has to brush off the cobwebs. But there's actually a decent chance that Grubauer is just, like, not played well. And if Drieger can even just be average or uh, somewhat similar to what he did last year, then he has a decent chance to steal the job here. That's the question. Why Why aren't either of these guys stepping up and taking the job in Seattle? The, looking at the Kraken and how well they're playing, they have the third stingiest defense in the league. They That means they're, they're giving up the third fewest expected goals per 60 minutes. They're ahead of only, they're only giving up more expected goals per 60 than Minnesota and Boston noted defensive stalwarts. So way to go, Seattle, for just joining those ranks right off, right off the top. And yet, Seattle's five-on-five save percentage as a team is dead last in the NHL behind even Chicago and Arizona. Funny enough, Minnesota and Boston round out the bottom five team save percentages too. So the top three teams in expected goals against uh, are also uh, in bottom five in save percentage. So that's unfortunate for Seattle and especially for Grubauer and Driedger, who neither one has been up to the task of defending the net with what should be a reasonable workload. Definitely something I noticed early last week when I was anticipating Chris Driedger getting the turn that he did in net and wondering, hey, maybe this is his chance to step up because Grubauer is just struggling and wondering why neither he nor Grubauer can put up a positive expect like can beat their expected Fenwick save percentage numbers. So it, I'm not sure exactly what's going on is the bottom line here. They have a team in front of them that's doing a good job of defending them, but neither one is, is stepping up to the plate, even though they have a pretty recent history of doing it. So I'm not calling either one a bust. I think for me, it's a new team. It's a new system. And even though Grubauer and Driedger should be stopping more pucks than they are, I'm going to give them like this extended, it's a, it's a new franchise. Okay. They get an extended adjustment period because they're playing with entirely new teammates who themselves are playing with entirely new teammates, uh, a new team, new coaching staff. Everything is brand new here. So I still see some potential good value from both Grubauer and Driedger down the road. And I can't say whether one is better than the other, though I'm certain Seattle would love to see Grubauer emerge and be worth the contract they've signed him to. Uh, but I'm I'm not leaving either of these guys for dead just yet. And it could be, I, I think it could be a good by low opportunity, honestly. You, you might have to have uh, some chutzpah there to really feel uh, brave enough to make that plunge and give up any kind of asset for them. But I, I think there's a rebound coming for one or both of them. 
Well, yeah, Brian, from what you're saying, like, my question was, like, because you're talking about, like, well, Group Bauer and Drieger have not been able to do well. Like, Drieger's played, like, one game, right? So I don't want to lump him in with this, right? Like, it's Group Bauer who's been the bad one. And yeah. Drieger, I'm just going to say he basically hasn't played at all. So if you're saying that Seattle has had, like, good defense and has been actually pretty stingy at letting in quality shots, then that makes me think that Group Bauer has just kind of blown it, which makes me think that Drieger is someone that if he's in your free agency, now's a good time to try him. I wouldn't be surprised if Drieger gets the next game for Seattle. Why not? Adam as a free agent and if he plays well obviously it's an if he has to actually do it but this is a situation you know sometimes you stream in a goalie who's the backup and he plays a game and even if he plays well or if he doesn't play well you know that the starter is coming back in the next game this is a yeah. case where if Drieger plays well in his next game he might get the following game so this is a pretty uh, potential high value stream if you can get him for sure but this is exactly how I was feeling I think it was last Tuesday when Seattle played Vegas and Drieger came in and gave up those four goals on 23 shots but you're right it was only his second appearance of the season and his first start so maybe we could like he especially has that adjustment period to go through. I, uh, yeah, I'm a believer. I've become a believer, believer in Chris Drieger. And, uh, I think that's a good take, Elon, that maybe the door is wide open for him, even though he appears to be struggling. He's barely played. So maybe he gets a, a little more play. But like I said, I think Seattle wants to get Grubauer going. And I think the bottom line here is we usually want to roster the goalies on Boston and Minnesota because of their defensive acumen. Like, we don't think much of Cam Talbot, but he plays for Minnesota, so we think a lot of him. Uh, and I'd say the same goes for these guys in Seattle, who I think are both actually better than Cam Talbot. Sure. Well, Grubauer, I don't know. So we'll have to see. He struggled a little bit the previous year in Colorado. And sometimes, you know, it's kind of like with uh, goalies on bad teams. You don't want to, like, you know, write them off completely because maybe they just had, you know, bad teams in front of them. Also, maybe Grubauer just got lucky to play against a really good team in Colorado. But anyways, we'll have to wait and see. I think the door is open for Drieger and Grubauer. If I drafted him, I'd be really disappointed right now because I I know that you're saying that Seattle's going to want to get the value out of that contract. But I think also... They need to win some games because they're trying to get fans. They're trying to, like, cement their lifelong fans this year, you know? So if if they stink for the whole year, that's going to make it harder for them to get people excited in future years. So I think they'll go with the goalie that helps them. We'll have to... Obviously, we don't know. We'll see what happens. But uh, Grubauer, so far, I'm just happy I didn't get him in any leagues because I was targeting him, and I'm glad that someone else sniped me. Okay, on the plus side on Seattle, though, there are a lot of skaters that are making their fantasy managers happy if they added them or held on. Like, Jared McCann returned from the COVID protocol and scored two goals versus the Ducks on Thursday, even after going pointless on Saturday. He's still an impressive nine points in 10 games on the season. Uh, and then there's the what's been the top line of Eberly, Schwartz, and Wenberg. They've all been scorching. Uh, Eberly is riding a five-game point streak where he's picked up eight points in that stretch over five games. Jaden Schwartz has been amazing ever since I dropped him in the cupful. Uh, 10 points in his last nine games. And Alex Wenberg is streaking himself. Seven points in his last five games. I did see practice lines today. And if you follow at Game Day Lines on Twitter or go to GameDayLineTweets.com, you'd have seen this as well, that Jared McCann was actually centering Eberly and Schwartz in the most recent practice today on Sunday. So maybe that's a sign that Wenberg is not as exciting as an ad as I thought he would be when I was prepping the show to ask you the question about him. But all four of these guys doing really well right now. And they're all 36% rostered or less on Yahoo. Wenberg way down at 8%. So want to give a quick take on how sustainable you think this scoring is for these four players who are all at 60 plus point paces so far and available in almost all Yahoo leagues? I would love to. Let's do a, a real quick tour of them, starting with Jordan Eberle, who you mentioned he has a five, he had a five-game point streak where he picked up eight points. But within that point streak, he had a four-game goal-scoring streak snapped. This is Jordan Eberle. And that streak began with a hat trick. 
So he has eight goals now in his last nine games on 25 shots for Jordan Eberle. So of course, this isn't sustainable, but I could see him still holding a 60-point pace this year. It looks pretty believable, and I love that he's going on this run early in the season because he is a noted slow starter, someone who I like to believe in at the outset of the season, never really gets going until like the second quarter or second third of the year. So it's nice to see him getting started, maybe a, a titch earlier than usual this season. Jaden Schwartz, same thing. I uh, Like a sustainable 60-point pace looks reasonable from him. Jared McCann, he's shooting 30%. Um, his on-ice shooting percentage is 13%, partially because of his own shooting success. That's all too high, but I still believe that McCann can get 65 points if he is given some kind of steady top six deployment. Because when he was healthy before being out this last stretch. Remember, he was bouncing all over the depth chart. And my take on that was basically like, oh, well, wherever McCain is, I can still expect offense from him. I still feel like that's true. And that's why I think he's still got a good shot at 65 points this season. And then Alex Wenberg, yeah, might be the most uh, the most surprising one here because we've given him a lot of chances and he's been in a lot of new situations and none of them have ever worked out. Um, but right now, Wenberg is actually, he's just doing what he's always done, but with more time on ice and some recent power play one turns as well. So I think that's going to add up to maybe 50 55 points is where I'd peg him for the rest of the season. Bottom line, none of these guys sound exciting, right? Of 60, 60 points, 60 points, 65, 55. No crazy value here, but a lot of nice options in that 55 to 65 point range. I think McCann still has the potential to break out. Schwartz, by the way, also seeing career high five on five ice time, which is really exciting because he's someone who we've always wanted to see on the ice more. Um, but I also will caution that I think Elon, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Seattle was running two pretty even power play units uh, over their last couple games, which is going to limit some of these guys' ability to really like put up these breakthrough runaway point totals. So while they're all on nice streaks, I actually am not upgrading them much from where we had them going into the season, especially if that power play split continues. Yeah, in the latest game, it actually was a pretty decent split, like 67% and, and 30%, which adds up to more than 100. So I don't know how that works, but those are the numbers I'm seeing on Frozen Tools. Uh, yeah, uh, by the way, the latest lines today, uh, just to give you that update, so it was McCann with Eberle and Schwartz, and then Wenberg with Donato and Marcus Johansson, which I guess is the second line. Yenny Gourd is injured currently. So uh, yeah, McCann, I mean, if you're saying he's doing well anywhere on the ice, and now he's going to be playing on the top line with the best players, is even more reason to get excited. I think McCann, if he's available... Rush to grab him, yeah, and rush to grab Eberle and Schwartz in any league, and then Wenberg, now I'm less excited now that he's off that line. Okay, so let's go now to the Ottawa Senators, our third worst team in the league, and they're even worse uh, since I prepped the show, because they lost today 4 nothing to Calgary. Uh, to their, I guess, defense, they have a bunch of players on the COVID protocol. Uh, didn't stop them from pulling off a 6-3 win over the Pens on Saturday to bring them to a 4-9-1 record, but today they didn't have drake batherson in the lineup and i wonder if that was like a bigger hit than even we realized like going into the year like we knew jake batherson was good the sands extended him to a big contract but he's having like such a huge year right like now he's on the COVID protocol but on saturday when he played he picked up two goals and two assists put up six shots and two hits just you know contributing across the board those four points brought batherson to 15 points in 14 games on the season over a point per game 
And like I'm saying, he's like hitting, he's shooting, he's doing it all. And like, while Batherson's winger on the other side of Norris and New Sense captain Brady Kachuk was getting drafted in like, you know, the late first round of multi-category leagues, Batherson had an average ADP of like 137 in the Kakuffle. And so far, it's been a huge steal. Like Batherson is even leaving his linemate Brady Kachuk in the dust in like all these categories, right? Like he's shooting, he's hitting, like all the things that we were so excited about Brady, like Batherson's also doing, but also putting up so many more points. And of course, I'm just pitting these two guys against each other for fun. Like I'm not saying that like... Like Brady Kachuk is bad or whatever. Trade Brady Kachuk for Drake Batherson. But I am going to say that while Batherson probably won't get four points every night, I think we might have like a 70 point guy on our hands who also throws a bunch of hits, takes like three plus shots per game. Like this is the type of player that you get super excited about in fantasy and think of as like a, you know, round three. Like, I don't know. I don't want to get too crazy here. And obviously Brian could tell me that he's like overperforming and throw some cold water. But from what I'm seeing so far from Drake Batherson, he might be one of the most pleasant surprises of the season. Too bad that he wasn't there today. It's almost like the reason why the Sens lost today, they didn't have Jake Batherson in the lineup. They're their best scorer, potentially. So, Brian, how excited are you about this guy? And, like, should we be... Like, am I right to say that we're looking at a potential 70-point guy that's also a multi-category beast? Okay, maybe the Sens lost because they didn't have Jake Batherson today, but I think it's also probably more because they were just gassed. Remember, this is a skeleton crew right now in Ottawa with so many uh, players in COVID protocol playing on a back-to-back Less than 24 hours after their last game, there's actually a a quote. I know you didn't ask for this, Elon, but I, I hope you'll forgive the digression because DJ Smith in the post game conference, uh, when asked a question like, "What you know, what happened tonight?" Because they were shut out, I think four nothing by Calgary. His answer was, "They just overwhelmed us with their four lines and six D." Which is so, that's so funny because, I mean, I, clearly it's a little dig at how few players the sense can ice. Like, they're signing, like, random guys who sound like player names generated in, like, EA Sports NHL um, to their uh, to their farm team right now. They can't even keep bodies there because they're all coming up to Ottawa and then going on COVID protocol. What a mess. Uh, okay, but you wanted to know... About Drake Batherson, who, uh, yeah, dearly missed when he is not in the lineup. Batherson is actually one of four players in the league who have twice had four-point nights this year. He's done that twice. So has uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, Roman Yosi, and Leon Dreisaitl. So that's a pretty good company to be in for Drake Batherson. I was really excited about him coming into this year, but we weren't sure if he could be a mainstay on the top line. And if he wasn't going to be a mainstay with Brady Kachuk and Josh Norris, we were worried how much he'd be able to accomplish uh, if he's left on his own, which he would be on the second line, essentially. And so um Batherson sort of felt like a nice steady guy, someone we knew we could count on, but didn't have the same like breakout upside like a Josh Norris or Tim Stutzla, or so we thought. You know, I remember a Discord thread on our in our uh, patrons-only group earlier in the season, just before it started, asking to rank Batherson, Stutzla, and Norris. And initially, I had Batherson first, but then there was a lot of conversation about how the other two could eclipse Batherson more, like they're more likely to reach their upside than Batherson would be, and their upside would also be higher. But look at how great Jake Batherson has been. He's put a lot of that to bed. He has been attached to Josh Norris all year. When Brady Kachuk joined after signing his deal, um, 
Batherson stayed there too. It wasn't Jimmy Stutzla staying on the top line. And Batherson is getting a lot of play. Like I think I think DJ Smith likes him in Ottawa. He's seen an increase of two minutes a night at five on five and has gotten to continue his consistent top power play deployment. Those have helped Batherson get these opportunities that he's taking advantage of. And honestly, Elon, you asked me in the question phase of this conversation, like you're gonna tell me something looks unsustainable. I don't know. <laughs> Batherson looks really, really good. The numbers I'm looking at tell me we could have a 70-point guy on our hands here. And that's even a bit of a surprise for me, a known Batherson booster. I was like, 60 points? Yeah, I think he can do it. 65, maybe even possibly. 70 points? Let's see. Like, I'm ready to get on this ride and find out. There's some exciting upside that I don't think we knew Batherson could tap into at the start of the season that he's showing this year already. And I'm uh, I'm pumped for it. So Drake Batherson, yeah, really great value for anyone who had him in their pools. And by the way, while you're being shady about Brady, I will say that Kachuk's shot rates and expected goals rates are down. He's got a fewer shot per game than last year and no power play points through 12 games now. Those are going to come. But I think if you spot Kachuk a few power play points, he would still be nearing a point per game pace. He's just not quite as dominant from the jump as we would have hoped. And I, I think we got to cut him some slack still from having miscamped. He he looked a little lost in his first five games, but I'm seeing things start to tick up. I'm, I'm not so concerned about Kachuk, but an eyebrow is raised. You know, he's going to have to prove something pretty soon and get on track on the power play. Um, you know, to be not put in the question versus Drake Batherson, wondering if he actually is the second most valuable Ottawa Senator. Yeah, I mean, obviously it'll help Kachuk, though, to get Batherson back. So hopefully Batherson's okay and it was just like a false positive or like whatever, COVID with no symptoms. Uh, by the way, I will say about Batherson, like I, there's a strategy that I've like, we've talked about sometimes. I don't know if it's like, it's very hard to pull off, but I feel like you might be able to try to go for like the rare buy high. If you like now might be a good time to get Batherson while people are still thinking there's no way that, because you know, he was drafted low in a lot of drafts. So a lot of people might be thinking, okay, he's like overperforming. He's clearly not, this good so now's your chance to maybe like get him before people start realizing okay maybe he actually is this good you could trade someone who they think they're like doing a sell high but actually you win like let's say like a, i don't know ryan o'reilly you know like someone who's really good but maybe not as much of a contributor as batherson has been and i don't know i'd have to like think about o'reilly that i just came up with that off the top of my head but i don't know i still feel like you might have a chance now to trade for batherson and not have to give up too much if you're in like especially a keeper league but uh it's hard because obviously the owner that has him is like super excited about it but maybe isn't ready to totally buy in yet uh okay Okay, so let's go now to the Montreal Canadiens. They're 4-10-2 on the year. Again, we're going in order of worst teams in the league up to best. And the Habs are playing today against Boston. Believe it or not, they're actually winning 2-1 after the second period, which very much surprises me because Sam Montembeau has been in the net. And it looks like Montembeau is up 30 of 31. So we'll see if he blows up in the third. And people listening to this tomorrow are like, oh, you had, you just wait. And you saw what would have happened. But yeah, like not looking good for the Habs because... Jeff Petrie in the game on Saturday pushed Dylan Larkin into Jake Allen and Allen had actually been having a decent week after like not having a good previous week for my previous fantasy matchup. I have Allen on my cupful team and yeah, Allen is apparently like out. Maybe he has a concussion. I think he's getting evaluated. We don't really know yet and obviously the Habs are already down Carey Price and it seemed like Sam Montembeau is going to be like a huge downgrade, right? He he came in on Saturday, let in two quick goals, kind of settled down in the third, eventually let in the overtime winner to give the Wings the 3 to win over the Habs. Uh, so I was going to ask you, Brian, if now's the time to potentially, like, if you want volume, maybe do you go out and grab Caden Primo in the short term because he's been called up and like Sam Montembeau was never su- 
supposed to be a guy who's going to actually play a lot of games for the Habs because he doesn't seem to be an NHL goalie. Maybe he's changing people's minds today. We'll see how the third period of this game goes. Uh, maybe the real answer is just to like not go for any Habs goalie. Maybe they'll just go Montembeau Primo back and forth for a bit until Allen is back. And ho- who even knows? Like Allen might be fine. So is all of this is at the end of the day, is it just like this? This Habs team is a mess and avoid all their goalies except for maybe Jake Allen when he comes back just because he plays at least every single game when he's healthy. I think that is the moral of the story. Sam Montembeau, I agree. He doesn't seem to be an NHL caliber goalie. Um, I don't know if Caden Primo is either. I think he he should get a shot because Montembeau, I don't think, is going to last very long without blowing up. In fact, I think one of the reasons he's with Montreal and with an NHL team this year is he he had connections to um, the head coach, Dominique Ducharme, that go back to, I think, junior hockey. So I, I feel like that's why he's even in the picture. And so there is a chance for Caden Primo to challenge, but I have no idea if he's ready. Heck, Jake Allen. I mean, I know I know he's done really good things for your fantasy team, Elon, and he's had a, f- a couple big starts, but he's struggled. Just a 43% quality start percentage, which means he's blowing you up 57% of the time. Four of his 14 starts have been really bad starts, too. Somehow... That's all balanced out to a 905 save percentage. So he's had some really high highs and some low lows. Just someone who's unreliable. And I I don't get the sense that Montembeau or Primo are destined to do any better. So I, I, I think your best hope is that Primo catches some early magic. Or maybe he can at least be kind of like Jake Allen. But that might be... I think that's as much as you could reasonably expect. Of course, you can hope for more, but let's set our expectations at a reasonable level. Yeah, my interest in Allen was just because he was playing the most games of all goalies in the NHL. So unless like Primo or Montembeau is going to do the same thing for me, I have no interest, right? I don't need a 50-50 Habs goalie that's going to have at best a 50% quality start percentage. Uh, Speaking of part of the reason why the goalies are having trouble in Montreal, we got to talk about Jeff Petrie, who is having a really bad season, at least offensively. He's sitting at two assists in 16 games going into today's action. Let's see, the Habs are up 2-1. to Did Petrie do anything? Of course he didn't. (laughs) So uh, that's probably going to end up being two points in uh, 17 games after this day and he's had only zero or one shots in six of his last seven games he's been bumped from the top power play I don't know if people realize like Chris Weidman who you might be thinking like who's Chris Weidman and Brian I'm not gonna like waste everyone's time by being like who's Chris Weidman I know he used to be on the Sands I know there's a whole story about him but like yeah like he's bumped Jeff Petrie from the top power play so at this point it's like Jeff Petrie is 100% a snoozer no question right like I'll say right away I take Chikrin over him in a heartbeat and you know how like down I am on Chikrin I just can't think of any the only reason before I was telling people to hold on to Petrie was yeah he's on the top power play like you know he was good like he's not even able to hold top power play with Weber out of the lineup which we thought was like the one like certain thing about the halves going into the year maybe that and Cole Caulfield having a good rookie season, which also didn't work out. So I think Jeff Petrie's got to go to your waiver wire now. Like, I don't see a reason to hold him in pretty much any league. Well, first, let me talk about former Ottawa. No, I'm kidding. I could tell you were like deftly dodging any <laughs> attempt by me to talk about the Ottawa Senators, including Chris Weidman. Yeah, he's on the top power play. I think it's worth mentioning. But Jeff Petrie uh, looks like he has nothing to give. I, I, as I've said all season, I still think there's some significant growing pains, but maybe they're beyond growing pains. You know, Montreal is really flailing right now, realizing they may not be as good a team as they might have thought they were after making the Stanley Cup finals last season. And it just seems like things are just being tossed into the air and, and nothing's really landing. Petrie off power play one loses a lot of value. He goes from like, 
I don't know, Darnell Nurse, who's not even on power play one, but I, I would say his value changes from being around Darnell Nurse to someone like Alex Goligoski, who, you know, might get you 35, hope maybe 40 points, uh, and can put up a, a, some decent peripherals along the way. But even there, like Petrie's shots are, are way down. His underlying numbers don't show a lot of promise for him either. Petrie seems a little lost after having lost his two most prominent D partners uh, from the past couple of years, who were Joel Edmondson and Brett Kulak, who are still like, he didn't lose, they're still available. Well, Kulak is, Edmonton isn't. Um, but Petrie with Ben Chiarod, I, I don't know if that's going to ever work. So uh, it doesn't seem to be working for Petrie. That's my only theory at this point is that it's just not working with his current defensive partner and he is yeah barely worth rostering unless you have time and space to be patient which i'm not even sure he's going to reward you for your patience uh, but i but Let i understand go. you've invested some draft capital uh so i could see that being the only reason to hold on to jeff petrie but if you can uh remove the sunk cost from the picture and get past that yeah i think jeff petrie's a snoozer yeah, like, I mean, we're here to tell you that's a bad strategy <laughs> to, like, believe yeah. in some cause. So, like, we're telling you to let him go. Like, obviously, you never know. Like, all of a sudden, in the next game, he could explode. But, like, he's giving us no indication, and he's not getting the deployment. Like, you're talking about how he, like, goes from being Darnell Nurse to, what was it, like, Goligoski? Yeah. Like, he's, he's gone from Darnell Nurse to, like, Duncan Keith, if we want to stay on the Oilers. Like, just a, a defenseman that no one has rostered on any fantasy team, and for good reason. By the way, Duncan Keith has more points on the season than Jeff Petrie. All right, so we've still got a lot of bad teams to go, and then soon we're going to start inching towards teams that are really good, including teams that are now even in the top 16 that weren't there last week. So we're going to get to that in just a sec after we play for you a couple of advertisers from our good friends over at Blue Wire. So uh, we'll be back soon. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. Okay, we are back, Brian, and we're going to go to the next worst team in the league as of now, who are the Chicago Blackhawks. They're 4-9-2 on the year, though some reasons for optimism. Okay, nice to see Marc-Andre Fleury settling in a bit. His last two wins have been really good. He stopped 42 of 44 in the win over Pittsburgh on Tuesday, and then he stopped 22 of 23 in the 2-1 win over Arizona on Friday. So, you know, might actually be a good time to sell Marc-Andre Fleury. Like, I still am very concerned about him, and I still think Lankanen can threaten, and I also worry about Fleury. Don't forget those games against Pittsburgh and Arizona. Those aren't exactly the scariest teams right now. Pittsburgh, because with the injuries and the COVID situation they had, and Arizona, as we've discussed. So if you have Fleury, like, on one hand, you're like, oh, hey, nice, I got a good week from him. On the other hand, I think if you could trade him now, maybe go for it. We'll get to a goalie a little bit later that I'm going to tell you to try to trade Marc-Andre Fleury for. Uh, obviously, there's no point in us digging into how great, like, Kane, Debrinkit, and Seth Jones have been. They've been, like, obviously the best for their fantasy managers. No one's disappointing about drafting any of these guys. Uh, so let me throw a super deep cut at you about the Chicago Blackhawks that we can talk about. So everyone like is pretty boring, right? Like Jonathan Taves, he has five assists in the last six games. Uh, three came in a single game versus the Sens. So I don't know how much you want to count that. Overall, he's been pretty man. Oh, you, you, I know that you were telling me he's like picked up a bit recently, but I still, I don't know how much I'm going to buy into like at least that one game against Ottawa. Kubalik's been like really blah, like one assist in his last five. Kirby Doc has been in that great spot with Kane and Zabrinkit at even strength and on the power play not doing anything with it so I'd have trouble holding any of these three guys like my cupful team that's the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League by the way uh, has a lot of good forwards. I don't think if any of these guys that are not Kane, Debrinkit, or Seth Jones were dropped on Chicago, I don't think I'd be adding any of these players. One name I'll throw out to you, though, is Dylan Strome, who was clearly not a favorite of former coach Jeremy Colleton. He was scratched for a lot of the season, but now with interim coach Derek King in the mix, it's looking like he might get a shot at better deployment. Uh, apparently, he took over from Kirby Doc in the third period of the last game on Friday, centering Kane and Debrinkit in the third. He then drew a 
penalty. Then he got put on the ice for the power play with the big boys, and he scored a goal from the top power play. So Dylan Strom is someone who we used to be interested in in fantasy, and he used to have some chemistry. I'm I, pretty sure I remember him centering Kane into Brinkett, or at least Patrick Kane, in the past. So I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye out for tomorrow's practice lines from Chicago, and definitely consider giving Dylan Strom a shot if he's going to be playing on the top line with Kane into Brinkett, because both of those guys are exploding. So there's there's points to be gained. There are definitely points to be gained, and that's a place that Dylan Strom has had success from in the past. If you look back just a couple years ago, uh, in 2018-19 and 19-20, Dylan Strom was a 55-60 point player uh, playing with Debrinkit and Patrick Kane. He's one of the guys who seemed to be able to get Debrinkit going. I think anyone can get to bring it going now or to bring it can get himself going. But remember right after that, uh, to bring it had like this little valley in his numbers where he said, hold anyway, we're not, we're not going to pat ourselves on the back for that right now. Dylan Strome, uh, he just hasn't looked good for a while, but he hasn't had the opportunity to look good. I actually remember at the start of the 2021 season, coming off a couple of years where he was playing 55, 60 point pace with Kanan to I missed out drafting him and I was so mad at myself for it. Like it's a late round gamble. I was in a league where I thought I could just sneak him past because no one else was paying attention. Anyway, he stunk. He was worthless. But I think this fresh start is exactly what Dylan Strom could benefit from. Remember, uh, this is fresh start number, well, two or three, depending on how you count fresh starts. He was with Arizona for a while and we saw some upside and potential there. And he just never really got the trust or deployment that we wanted him to, that he eventually got when he got to Chicago and then lost. So I think this is a really good look for you, Elon, to, uh, to, to see that Dillenstrom is getting a, a fresh start and, uh, and get a new shot with a new coach who will probably be really supportive because, hey, what does what Chicago have to, have to lose right now by giving somebody a shot and throwing them some confidence? So I really like the idea to keep an eye on Dylan Strom. I still, like you said, you wouldn't be interested in Kubalik, Doc, or Taves. I would say not Kubalik and not Doc. I, I do see Taves. Like I was just looking at his game log and noticing over his past few games, like things are just ticking back to, back to where we would have expected him to be this season. So I'm not willing to give him up for Dylan Strome, but I could see Dylan Strome maybe being close if he really does take advantage of this fresh start. Yeah, I mean, let me just say, like, I'm saying Dylan Strom is like a super deep cut. Like, he might not even play on that top line in the next game. Shams is saying in the chat here that Strom was bumped when Doc was, like, injured for part of the game, and then Doc took the spot back. But, like, I mean, Strom did well in that short time. So, again, we'll we'll watch the practice lines. Even if Strom is there, I definitely wouldn't be dropping, like, Kuba League for him just yet. I'm just saying, like, he's a guy that I have on my radar because I wanted to talk about someone. But, yeah, Jonathan Taves, he's fine. But he's definitely not the exciting option that we thought he might be, you know, when we saw. He had a good preseason, and then so far. Well, it's just Chicago. But anyway... Uh, that's that team. Let's go to the next worst team here, and that's the Vancouver Canucks, who are 5-8-2 to start the year. They're playing today against Anaheim. At the end of the first period, it's 1-1, so we'll see if the Canucks can increase that record a little bit. Uh, they've had a rough week, right? They lost three in a row going into today, including a 7-1 loss to the Avs and then a 7-4 loss to the Golden Knights. You definitely don't want to be letting in seven goals in two straight games. Uh, Thatcher Demko had been having a solid start to the season, but his save percentage has taken a beating in his last four starts it's dropping him below 900 after the seven goals against yesterday. Uh, so yeah, while clearly the Canucks have problems, 
I've got to throw like the flip of my Marc-Andre Fleury advice from before and say that this might be a good time to try to get Thatcher Demko now. As, like, I promise you, and Brian might disagree because I know you've never been as big of a fan of Demko as I have, but like, I've, Demko's not this bad. Like, he's not going to be letting in seven goals for most games and he's still like a volume goalie. And I think he's like talented. So like, I feel like, uh, if you can like trade Marc-Andre Fleury for Thatcher Demko right now, I think that would be a great, you know, buy low, sell high kind of situation. But yeah, Brian, are you concerned about Demko? Like, obviously, yeah, I know that he's been bad lately, but I think those last two games just like totally throw his numbers like way out of whack and you know also they're not going to be playing vegas and colorado for every game like today they're against anaheim and it's uh anyways it's uh, a halak and net so we're not getting any more demco information for today find someone who looks at you the way that elon looks at thatcher demco seeing demco like explode and be like this is a great buy low opportunity look i you're right i just to be clear i i do like thatcher demco you just like love 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 Thatcher Demko and you were higher on Vancouver going into the season than I was. And I think um, like there is a bright side here, but I think it's still, there's still room for concern that Thatcher Demko is playing on a Vancouver team that just looks broken. Right. And he's actually doing a really honorable job of playing on this Vancouver team. He actually is outperforming his expected Fenwick save percentage at five on five, but Demko is just getting wrecked on the penalty kill which is the good news that's fairly random and i don't think a reason to get down on him for i think there's a really great silver lining here that you want to find elon and is actually there that thatcher demko uh, is playing really well this season even on a bad team and that actually as we've seen with uc Saros and thatcher demko himself that can be uh fantasy gold for you finding a goalie who sees a ton of shots and fares well with those shots. So I think it's a it's a nice idea, Elon. I'm actually I'm I'm behind you on it to try and see if the Demco manager is panicking and see what it might take to take Demco off their hands. Just I wouldn't expect like my only caveat here is you can expect good rates, like good save percentage from Demco, but I'm not necessarily expecting the wins or goals against averages to improve from here. Uh because Vancouver, like I said, looks really bad and both of those are team numbers but the numbers that Demko can control like save percentage I still think he can uh, he can make some overall positive contributions to your fantasy team yeah so again like obviously it's about who you have to pay to get him and again tweeted us at Kevin Carlson we'd love to give you advice on if you have a trade idea in mind uh, by the way since we were not planning on talking about Anaheim today since we talked about them last week uh, in today's game I said it's 1-1 and Trevor Zegras scored a power play goal for Anaheim assisted by Jacob Silverberg and Hampus Lindholm Jacob Silverberg has been injured for most of the season like he just came back recently or I shouldn't say for most of the season but he's been out for a while while the you know Ducks have been on this amazing run over these last couple of weeks Silverberg's been out and Silverberg right away comes back picks up a power play assist that brings him to nine points in 10 games you know we were talking about all these Ducks going on these crazy runs and we didn't even talk about Silverberg since he's been injured but uh you know I don't know if you want to get on the Ducks train and all of them are gone maybe Silverberg is still out there for you and maybe you know he's almost at a point per game so far this year so I'm not saying he's like for sure going to keep it up and I know Brian didn't prep for me to say this because I wasn't even planning on talking about him but it's just another name of a random Anaheim Duck player that's a point per game almost so if he's available in free agency you probably want to take a look even though Ducks do play only Tuesday Thursday next week so maybe you wait but obviously it depends how deep your league is for sure if you didn't get uh, any Ducks socks and you want to get in on it Jacob Silverberg uh, yeah what Elon said is is your ticket it's really funny I mean we've mentioned this a lot the past couple of weeks it's been a long time since any Anaheim Duck has looked attractive on a fantasy roster so we'll see like I, I love that it's continuing and Silverberg is someone that you can try and uh, and hope gets in on all the action 
Yeah, I don't think we've ever had a situation on Keeping Carlson where we're just like, anyone in the Ducks top six, you want, okay? <laughs> because you know they're going to get points. And a Silverberg today looks like he's playing with Lundenstrom and Mason McTavish, which you would think isn't that great. But he's also, I guess, on this power play. So who knows? Uh, we'll see what the Ducks can do. Brian, I made a trade for Troy Terry. I got offered a trade. My knee chest for Troy Terry. I accepted it. And then because of our counter offer mechanism in the couple, uh, Patrick took another offer instead. So now I'm definitely hoping for knee chess to tell, show Patrick that he was wrong and go off against him actually next week in the couple. So good luck, Patrick. Good luck, Patrick, in this, uh, this rubber match that I want you to know Elon is taking very seriously. So, uh, so look out. He's, he's going to bring everything he's got. I was looking. You said, like, never in the history of our show have we said go get anyone in the Ducks top six. So I, I went back to twenty the 13-14 season to see that was, like, what, our first full season of the show to see who uh, who was producing in Anaheim. Yet had laugh with 87 points, Corey Perry with 82 points, third on the team in scoring, Nick Benino with 49 points and uh Dustin Penner at 32 points in 49 games or whatever that's worth but it really has been a long time since we've been really interested in more than two guys in Anaheim and the past few years it wasn't even two guys in Anaheim so uh yeah fun stuff let's see how long it lasts yeah I feel like I want to go back to listen to those shows I'd imagine we were just like every week seeing who's playing with Getzlaff and Perry and being like you want to get that third player on that line that's probably the player that was most interesting to us week in week out All right, next let's go to Dallas I'm surprised that we're talking about Dallas so early in this episode of bad teams that means they're not having a good start to the year which is too bad because I thought they were going to have a strong season and there's obviously still lots of time for them to bounce back they're currently though only 5-6-2 they did though have a big 5-2 win over the Flyers on Saturday uh, to break a stretch of only one win in their previous seven games so hopefully Hopefully this is the start of a turnaround for this team that is actually sporting a bunch of skaters on hot streaks. I feel like we did a bunch of shows at the start of the season where we were talking about all of the Stars players that were disappointing their managers. And if you held on, pretty much all of them are now making you happy. Right? Pavelski has six points in his last six games. Sagan, five points in his last five. Radulov, six points in his last seven. Jason Robertson now up to six points in seven games on the season since he came back. So anyone who drafted him and had to wait for a while, they're definitely being rewarded for their patience. Uh, Rupe Hintz had a goal and an assist versus Philly. Those were his third and fourth points in his last three games so he's starting to heat up finally and of course Miro Haskinen just keeps on rolling right he has five points in his last four games up to 12 points in 13 games on the season that's a 76 point pace for Miro the only really disappointing guy at the moment like a player that if you have on your roster from Dallas you're like why aren't you doing what I expected from you it's John Klingberg right he picked up an assist versus Philly but that was only his third point of the season in nine games he has no goals just three assists in nine games he's had also only one or zero shots in each of his last four games so he's not doing anything for you no power play points yet for Klingberg uh, so Brian I've been seeing in our patron discord like a lot of people have been talking about Klingberg being dropped in their leagues and it makes sense why and you've been saying that people should be jumping on Klingberg so I'm just curious is there anything under the hood that's indicating to you that he'll go back to being the 56 point pace guy from last year soon or is it just the kind of thing where yeah even though he's playing badly now you just like have to believe in him because of what he did over these last few seasons it's a bit of both. Like right now I'm looking at why John Klingberg isn't putting up points. One of the reasons is because while he's on the ice at five on five, Dallas is shooting just 4%, which is abysmal. Uh, it's not as bad as 0.9%, which really I can't shake for poor uh, Jacob Shekran. Anyway, going back to Klingberg, I'm looking at his rate stats and comparing them to past seasons, like the, the ones I look at to try and figure out offense, like expected goals rates and shot shots on goal rates and shot attempt rates. And, uh, 
honestly, Klingberg looks pretty much the same as all those other seasons where he's been a 50-point guy, give or take five points. So I, I know Klingberg's counting numbers are screaming red flags, but his underlying numbers are not, which is why I still think he can be a 50-ish point guy. Uh, it, it is concerning that he's not putting anything together. And we've known Klingberg to go through these dry spells too. Like this isn't new, but it is a little concerning that suddenly all of Dallas is up and running and John Klingberg is not on board with all of that. So I, I'm hoping he will catch up. I see reason to believe he will, but I, like definitely keep an eye on him if he's on your roster. I mean, he's being dropped in a lot of leagues and if he's dropped in mine, I am pretty interested still, but in a week or two, I might not be if this keeps up. Yeah, so I guess it depends if you're in the type of league where you can afford to wait a week or two, but also it depends like who's available in free agency. Like It depends if there's lots of decent defensemen getting dropped, then maybe you don't have to rush for Klingberg because there's lots of good options out there and no one else is going to grab him, as opposed to some leagues, you just know that someone's going to be burning their top waiver priority for a defenseman who had a 56-point pace last year. Uh, next up, we've got the New York Islanders. We covered them last week uh, when they were in the top 16. They've fallen from the top 16. Not really. They're probably, they only played one game this week, and I'm just going by total points, so it makes sense, but they did have a bad game. Their one game was a 4 nothing loss and now they are in the bottom eight of the league so obviously next week will be the islanders chance to finally make up some ground they play four times which has been a rare thing and obviously a nice thing for anyone who's been holding on to any islanders players in fantasy because you've been getting not many games played and not even production in the games that you got at least in this past week in that one game uh so maybe a good time to pounce on all these dropped islanders they're going to play monday tuesday and then saturday sunday Okay. By the way, looks like the lines are getting shaken up. Trotz uh, hinted that the lines are going to be shuffled. And in the most recent practice, I saw a tweet hinting that Zach Parise might play on line one with Barzal and uh, Lee. So that's like not something I expected, but I guess they've tried, you know, Wallstrom, they've tried Palmieri, they've tried Josh Bailey. So why not try Zach Parise? Uh, Dave mentioned him in the stream scheme this week as one of his streamer recommendations. Obviously, if you want more streamer recommendations, check out the stream scheme. Uh, It's linked in our show notes and it's an amazing show by the great Dave Benton. Uh, But Brian, you love Zach Parise. So are you like potentially going to add him in any leagues if you see practice lines tomorrow? that he's skating on line one with Barzal? No, I'm not jumping for Zach Parisi, although I I think you wish I would just for comedic effect. I'm interested, but it's funny because you named like Wallstrom who saw a little bit of success and Paul, like all these guys have seen some success and there's only so much success you can see on the top line for the Islanders. But I am totally with you that, you know, look through your free agent pile and see which aisles have been dropped over, you know, the last three weeks where they've played just five games, uh, some names to look out for, which you probably know, but just in case, Brock Nelson, Ryan Pulock, Anthony Beauvillier, Anders Lee, Kyle Palmieri, maybe Zach Parisi. I, I don't think I'd put him in that group, but yeah, maybe if you want to try and stream him for Monday. Um, and hey, maybe even Semyon Varlamov, who's had a, like, who I think has really frustrated a lot of his managers, including myself. I have him in a couple leagues and I've seen him dropped in some leagues too. And I, I, I can't blame anyone for losing patience, but I still think it's going to be a 50 50 split the rest of the way. So he's probably going to be as valuable to you starting now as you would have thought he would have been at the start of the season. Yeah, well, you're at least guaranteed 50-50 next week, right? They play Monday, Tuesday, and then Saturday, Sunday. So two back-to-backs. How can they not just split the goalies for each of those games? So yeah, you're finally getting your two Varlamov starts that you were hoping for to get like in most weeks. Uh, Next up, let's go to the Colorado Avalanche. Why are we talking about the Colorado Avalanche? They should be at the top of the league, but no, they haven't had the most amazing start to the year. They're 6-5-1 now, and I promise you this won't last. Colorado's going to start climbing up the league standings. Uh, Obviously, being without Nathan McKinnon isn't great, 
but it hasn't hurt the Avs much lately. They've scored 13 goals in their last two games versus Vancouver and San Jose. Of course, Sam Girard went off for six points in those two games last week after everyone had probably dropped him all over because of Colorado's back schedule and him not doing anything. So now I guess you have to decide if you're like re-adding Sam Girard or if you just assume that he's going to cool off again. Uh, another two games next week, by the way, for Colorado. Their final, like they've had like I think three weeks in a row of only playing two times. At least next week it's on two off day games of Wednesday, Friday. So you'll at least be able to fit your abs in your lineup when they do play. Uh, JT Comfer sustained an upper body injury on Saturday versus San Jose. And so some guy named Logan O'Connor jumped to the top line with Ranton and Landeskog and scored a goal. And it was his third goal in four games. So obviously you can wait and see what the Colorado lines will be come Wednesday, but if he's still playing on the top line, he's definitely someone you got to look at in your deep, deep leagues if he's still there. So, Brian, let's just go for it. Who the heck is Logan O'Connor? Elon, this has been a great year for guys named Connor. You've got McDavid going off, Kyle Connor reaching new heights. There's Drew O'Connor, has a few goals over in Pittsburgh in a depth role. And now here's Logan O'Connor joining the Connor party, which notably excludes Connor Garland, who has just one N in his Connor. Uh, Logan O'Connor, though, is looking actually pretty promising. He's this undrafted 25-year-old from Missouri City, Texas. And he's never been a big scorer at any level he's played in the USHL, in college, or in the AHL. In the AHL, O'Connor has just 67 points in 104 AHL games. Uh, Logan O'Connor's had a few cups of coffee with Colorado in the last few years, but nothing to write home about. But I'm looking at his rate stats, and uh, they look pretty decent. And of course, rate stats is what I need to look at because Logan O'Connor's never like been given a lot of ice time up until recently. So just to see what he has done and the time he's gotten, because if I just counted like points and shots and whatever, it wouldn't necessarily count for how few minutes he's seen. But O'Connor's rate stats look pretty good. And, and he's the sort of guy I, I wonder about, actually, who maybe has always been in, in a depth scoring role, but seem to seems to have these hints of offense about his game that may not have been sufficiently uh, exposed or, or offered the opportunity to shine, even now as a 25-year-old. Like, Logan O'Connor has never seen any kind of substantial minutes, and now that his ice time is slowly increasing, it's like, ah, oh, maybe... Just maybe this is his time to shine. I kind of uh, am wondering if he might be in the same category as guys like Brian Rust or Andrew Kopp. I'm not saying for sure O'Connor's there, but I am saying that I like what I'm seeing and I'd like to see more. So uh, so keep getting minutes, Logan O'Connor. I mean, it's unfortunate JT Comfer's injured, but this is a great opportunity for him. Yeah, of course, again, like before you rush to grab O'Connor because he has been looking good, like make sure he is still holding that line one spot. Like don't grab him now, right? Wait till Wednesday, see the practice lines. Like maybe Alex Newhook ends up getting a shot there. Like who knows? But he's been doing pretty well. Also, like obviously, if you're in a more shallow league, you're going to be looking at your Andre Burakovsky's and Nazem Kadri's if you can get them before you're jumping on Logan O'Connor. Burakovsky only 57% rostered, Kadri down at 36%, even though they've both been on the top power play with all these injuries. So with McKinnon and Confer out, it's been Burakovsky, 
Kadri, and then obviously Ranton and Landeskog along with Makar. Uh, Kadri has 14 points in 12 games, for goodness sake. So I don't really get how he's only 36% rostered. I think you pretty much have to add him. Uh, both of these guys likely dropped in a lot of leagues because of how bad the schedule has been. But the two games you get, like I said, are going to be an off-day game. So you're going to be able to fit in both Burakovsky and Kadri for those games. And then, hey, if you're really in a tight matchup, you could always drop them on Friday, like after the game, and then pick up someone new for Saturday, Sunday. So there you go. Uh, next up, let's go to the Buffalo Sabres. Who, like I said, why is it taking so long to get the Buffalo Sabres? They're, they've been average. Like they've, They're 6-6-2. Six, six and two. They've won as many games as they've lost. If you forget the overtime losses, they've got more points than Colorado so far. Though, to be fair, they have played uh, two more games. So close to picking up another point yesterday, by the way. Buffalo in the standings. They played against Toronto, and it was tied 4-4, and then Morgan Riley broke their hearts. Or maybe they did them a favor because they're supposed to be tanking. Uh, Riley scored with 12 seconds left in the game to give the Leafs the 5-4 win. Uh, Fun trivia for anyone listening. I guess Brian knows because I prepped the show here. But ask yourself... Who's been on the top line on Buffalo? Like, who's on the top line yesterday? And you'll have to be a real NHL super fan or a real fantasy nerd to know that the answer is Jeff Skinner, Tage Thompson, and Rasmus Asplund. That's been the top line for Buffalo recently. And hey, Jeff Skinner, two goals and one assist and four shots versus Toronto. Tage Thompson had a goal and an assist and four shots. These guys are available all over the place. Uh, and you know what? These are also the team's leading scorers, by the way. All of uh, Skinner, Thompson, and Asplund have been pacing for between 50 and 60 points on the season so far, which is like nothing to season. That, that's like fantasy-relevant numbers in most leagues, except for super shallow ones. Brian, do you think any of these three, Skinner, Tage Thompson, and Rasmus Asplund, can any of them like keep it up and continue to be a 50 to 60-point player this year, or like since they're on the top line? Or is this the kind of thing where whatever, short, small sample size, they're going to continue to be the nobodies that we expected them to be going in? Into the year. I think going into the year, we didn't have any Sabre actually hitting 60 points, uh, even if they are on the top line. So let's adjust those expectations and say, can any of these guys be a 50 to 55 point player if they keep getting some kind of top line deployment? Because I think that would be impressive for Jeff Skinner, Tage Thompson, or Rasmus Asplund. And uh, I got to say, Look, you know I'm going to be a little interested in Jeff Skinner, right? His shot rates are currently a career high number, and his shot attempt, uh, his shot attempt rates, they've rebounded from a brutal couple of years. He's getting some ice time back. I mean, look, with Jeff Skinner, even when his numbers have looked this good, he could still be a pretty disappointing player, and I know that. But I, I'm, I just am saying I don't think 50, 55 points is out of the question for Skinner if he can hold this role. That said, keep in mind that big game for Skinner against Toronto came against their third or fourth string goalie, Joseph Wall, who's making his first ever start. So I'm not getting carried away here on Jeff Skinner, but you asked, and I'm answering, uh, that I could see Skinner potentially worth holding. Teach Thompson also is not someone who's ever excited me, but he looks... uh, interesting-ish to me. He's got some pretty crazy shot attempt rates, but he's only hitting the net on a third of his shot attempts. He's just like firing away. And I'm not sure where all the pucks are going, but two thirds of them are not actually landing as a shot on goal. But there is value to that in a deep enough league where this guy is just firing the puck and you might be interested. Both of these guys seem to have seen jumps under uh, Donnie Meatballs. That's his name, right? Granado, uh, the coach in Buffalo, uh, who like Skinner has like the sort of new lease on life. He was really disliked by Ralph Kruger. And then uh, Tage Thompson is somebody who I think is uh, becoming Granado's kind of pet project here. So 
I think they're all worth looking at as like a short term stream, but I don't think you're you're going to be uncovering any brand new explosive value from any of these guys because they're still like this is the top line in Buffalo and there's only so far they can go. Yeah, though, Buffalo, like I said, is like 6-6-2, six, six, and two, so they're not as bad as we expected them to be. But yeah, probably the fun times will not keep on going forever, or at least we wouldn't think so, uh, unless they're going to be the next uh, Vegas Golden Knights expansion team, where they're just a bunch of players that we didn't expect to be good turn out to be superstars. Uh, by the way, there was a question in the chat, like, surprised that, uh, you know, Dylan Cousins wasn't on the top line. No, he's been playing on a line with Vinny Hinestroza and Drake Kajula, which I guess is the second line, who even knows, with the players on this team. Uh, next up, Brian, let's go to the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are not doing that great to start their final. Five, four, and four right now, and that was going into today, where they're currently losing to Washington six to one with five minutes to go. So not a great return for Sidney Crosby, who was on the COVID protocol and he came back today and is not, you know, not doing anything. Unfortunately, not even or no, he has one shot on goal and obviously no points. Jake Gensel scored the only goal for the Pens, assisted by Latang and Matheson. Uh, so what did I have here to ask you about the Penguins? <laughs> I guess I was gonna say like, yeah, it's probably good news for Brian Rust, right? He gets Crosby back, and obviously we're not going to be too worried about Sidney Crosby, uh, though uh, he hasn't had the best start to the year, but he's barely played. Uh, so the lines today were Crosby with Rust and Gensel, and then obviously Crosby on the top power play with Carter, Rust, Gensel, and Latang. So that's good news, I guess, for Jeff Carter once this team gets going, because he's on the top power play. Bad news for like a Kasperi Kapanen, who is bumped off the top power play. And then I guess we should also mention that Evan Rodriguez had two goals and one assist versus Ottawa yesterday and is up to 11 points in 13 games on the season. I guess make that now 11 points in 14 games on the year, but that actually puts him as the team leader in points at this moment. So I guess I need to start taking this guy a little bit seriously. Like, Brian, if you are in a super deep league and you're deciding between Erod and Jeff Skinner, who are you going with? I think I'm actually going to go with Evan Rodriguez. This is like a show where you're bringing up a bunch of random guys and I'm actually being like, yes, to all of them, Evan Rodriguez is a guy, another guy who looks actually good. His lines are dominant when he's on the ice, having a 64% share of the expected goals. And then Rodriguez's own individual numbers, they look good too. Rodriguez is someone who also has these really interesting career numbers for points participation. They're always really high, like 80% or higher, despite playing bottom six minutes, which tells me that, hey, if Evan Rodriguez's line manages to score, which like is against the odds because he's always in the bottom six with plugs, it may have been largely because he willed them to do so. He's always in on the goals his weak line score. He has this like elite level IPP points participation rates in a bottom six context, which you just don't see too often. So I'm trying to figure out if there's anything to read into that for Evan Rodriguez, who we have considered a legit player before. He's just never had the opportunity to stick in a top six anywhere. He's undrafted, 28 years old already, uh, undersized dollar bin contract, but providing great value to Pittsburgh and anyone who's had him on their fantasy roster. Now he's in the top six in Pittsburgh because of attrition, seen career high expected goals rates, shot rates, shot attempt rates. He's putting up three shots per game for Pete's sake. Uh, so that's great. Way to go, E-Rod. I, I think I would take him over Skinner until Malkin comes back. And by then I probably won't want Skinner either. So give me Evan Rodriguez. Do you want to ask me who I would take? Who would you take, Elon? 
I'm going to surprise you. I'd go Skinner, actually. Yeah. I'm actually starting to turn around on Skinner. He's, he's taking like a ton of shots, and it's hard to ignore at this point because he's helping you in fantasy. And Evan Rodriguez, yeah, he's had all these good numbers, like you said. But actually, Brian, the attrition has started to wane, and he's no longer in the top six, at least today. It was so Crosby, Rust, and Gensel, and then Zucker with Carter and Kapanen, leaving um, Rodriguez to play with Brian Boyle and Danton Heinen. Okay. So I think yeah. the fun times are over. Then so. give me Jeff Skinner, too. I hadn't seen today's lines. That is a bummer because he's, uh, once again, had a great turn in the top six and is pushed right out well don't forget it's the pittsburgh someone will get injured soon and he'll get back up there unfortunately uh, okay let's go now to columbus who we actually already talked about n- last week but they're next on the list currently so they've fallen a little bit after two losses this week to washington and the rangers they do play monday though versus detroit so i'm gonna say do yourself a favor and stream in boone jenner if he's still available i did it in one of my leagues very happy about it right he's he had a four game point streak that ended on saturday but he took five shots in that game and uh jenner is centering bjorkstrand at even strength and on the power play and we've already discussed i think it was last week about how big a star oliver bjorkstrand is so you want his centerman like i know before we were excited about jenner because he was centering line a line is hurt now he gets to center bjorkstrand i don't even know if that's a downgrade so uh, i really like boone jenner especially because there's only two games on monday so there's not too many streaming options out there for people so you could always get jenner for monday then decide if you're going to drop him though i have a feeling he's going to do something for you and you're going to have to think twice about whether you drop him or not he's having a really good year so far jenner is the blue jacket center you want. I also, by the way, want to give uh, at least uh, some measure of kudos to Cole Sillinger, 18-year-old rookie. He's seen some power play one time recently and had a stretch where he put up 20 shots over five games with a three-point outing right in the middle of that run. Uh, Sillinger's had these uneven performances, just one assist and two shots in his last two games combined. But could make for a decent stream in deeper leagues if all the other interesting Columbus guys are gone, especially if he holds on to the top power play, which I I feel like that's going to be game by game. Yeah, I guess Cole Sillinger is definitely going to have a really bright future, and Columbus was, I'm sure, very happy with their pick at this point in this past draft. Not too many players from the 2021 draft are playing, and Cole Sillinger is one of them doing fantastic. Uh, okay, now let's go to the Boston Bruins, who are 7-5 and five on the year. I think they're like falling down this list, again, because they haven't played as much as uh, other teams. But we already started talking about them earlier on because they were playing Montreal. So let's give an update on that game. It is now 4-2 to two for Boston. So yeah, Sam Montebeau was not able to continue the great game he had started so that's three unanswered goals so far in the third period for boston so we could just uh put that like stamp on our montembeau conversation saying yeah he really does not seem like a nhl goal i haven't seen the goals but uh yeah three goals in one period is obviously not nice for a habs team that really could have used a strong goalie performance to help them pull out a big upset win so too bad for them uh good for the bruins though who are going to pull off another win and the bruins unfortunately are like a really boring team to talk about on the podcast like there's never really much new to say like okay marshawn bergeron and pasternak are all amazing they're getting a ton of they're none of them are surprising me okay they're amazing uh charlie mcavoy is having the breakout season i told all of you he would and i know he started slow hopefully no one was dumb enough to drop him uh no offense if you did well a little bit because he's q being the top power play it's an amazing spot to be eight points in his last six games including three assists on saturday versus new jersey brought him to 10 points in 12 games on the year and now today i'm seeing that mcavoy is having another gem of a game against montembeau because he has two goals so that, I think, is bringing him pretty close to a point per game at this point. So he's definitely someone that you're very happy if you drafted and then held on to. Uh, Taylor Hall is then the next, I guess, forward that you want on this team. To me, he's like pretty mad at this point. Seven points in 12 games for a 48-point pace going into today. I believe he did get a point today, though. 
Yeah, look at that. Taylor Hall assisted on a Charlie McAvoy even strength goal. So he's got that going for him. But he's been bumped from the top power play. Hall started the season on PP1, I guess, as the net front guy. But he's been bumped for Nick Felino, which bumps Hall to power play two. And Ben from Short Shifts was suggesting, I believe I saw on Twitter, from the Short Shifts KK account, which is an amazing account. You should follow it. Uh, he was suggesting, or maybe it was Lewis. I don't know why I'm assuming it was Ben. One of Ben or Lewis was suggesting that Hall, this might actually be good for him to be on power play two because he's not really so great as a net front guy on a power play. The problem is power play one gets like all the time right on saturday power play two didn't even get on the ice so it's gonna be hard for hall to do much from a power play unit that plays zero minutes uh so yeah brian in my opinion taylor hall is like a 60 point guy at best i think we've already talked about this on the show and i'd even be willing to start dropping that number to like 55 just because he's not even on the top power play anymore so i'm pretty low on taylor hall i've got to say me too it's really sad uh, you know, there are some situational factors that haven't gone well for Hall that are variants. Like he's seen just a 6% on ice shooting percentage since leaving Arizona. But there's some other numbers, like his expected goals rates that he should have more control over that have also settled in uh, lower over his last 45, 50 games since leaving Arizona too. Honestly, I'm, I'm not sure what to make of him. The upside is technically there. And I think Taylor Hall is as skilled as ever. But the opportunity uh, sure doesn't seem to be like he's not being called upon to be the super offensive superstar that I, I think he's still capable of being. Um, that's it. It's a real yeah. bummer. I actually like I was looking into his power play time. And uh, I also, you know, I think power play one is the only place to be. But in, in Boston, because of how heavily they load that up. But even with all this power play time on the top unit, I tweeted this out earlier at Keeping Carlson, in 33 minutes and 36 seconds of power play time, Taylor Hall has one single shot on goal, just one, and he's only even attempted to take two other shots. So he's just like standing around, moving the puck, barely even picking up points on the power play, totally in this complimentary role. And Boston doesn't have or seem to feel any urgency to give Hall more opportunity. So yeah, I'm pretty down on him. I think 55, 60 points still seems uh, like a reasonable window, but it's really hard to imagine Taylor Hall reaching above that, despite how much talent he's got. He might be one of the more, like one of maybe the most underutilized players across the league. Although then you look at someone like Nick Ehlers, who without line one power play one deployment has still been able to break through, you know, maybe it's something about the systems he's played in or whatever. Um, But it's really unfortunate because Taylor Hall seems like fantasy value wasted. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying he's not talented, right? Like Kyle is saying here in the chat here that Hall is way more talented than than his numbers, I think. But yeah, it's like, no one's saying he's not. It's just Boston doesn't need Hall to be like their big offensive guy. They've got the best top line in the league. They've got like this amazing top power play that doesn't need Taylor Hall to function. They need the three good forwards, some guy in front of the net to maybe clean things up every once in a while, and then Charlie McAvoy. And so it's just, yeah, you're right, Brian. It's a system issue for sure. Like Nikolai Ehlers plays a lot of minutes at even strength for Winnipeg. Like Taylor Hall is not playing like, too much like they want to play that top line whenever they can because that's the line that you know makes the money for them and scores the goals so uh sorry everybody i don't know what what do you want me to say uh the goalies by the way in boston have been 50 50 so far on the season though this weekend uh swayman jeremy swayman played both games right he played saturday and then again today so maybe that gives him the edge over linus allmark which makes sense by the way because swayman has been much better so far uh that said 
still kind of imagine that Swayman is not going to get too many more than a 50-50 share of the games just because first of all Boston like that's what they do right like they like going with using 1A and 1B goalie systems we saw Rask and Halak do that for so long and it really worked out well for them so maybe Swayman could be like a 1A playing like 55% of the games but I wouldn't expect more than that and also they're paying Linus Allmark like a lot of money and I know you we were talking about like with Seattle how they're playing Grubauer a lot of money but you know they just got Allmark and I'm sure that Boston wants to give him a chance to prove himself and so but I guess also they have Swayman who's the goalie of the future so I'm not trying I don't want to read too much into the goalie plans it just seems like Jeremy Swayman looks really good and you probably want to add him especially now since he's playing so well and he just got a second game in a row but keep in mind he's not going to like I don't think be a big volume guy like I think Allmark's still going to play a good chunk of the games if I had Allmark though I'd probably drop him in a lot of leagues unless you know it's really hard to find a backup goalie I agree I've seen Allmark dropped in leagues and I, I think his value is pretty pretty like pretty low right now especially now that Swayman has played well in both halves of this back-to-back on touch wood because the game in Boston isn't quite over tonight but also keep in mind Allmark had three games in a row now Swayman's playing three games in a row uh, Swayman has been the better goalie though and like measured by their expected Fenwick save percentages Allmark has been a lot below his expected mark and Swayman has just been a bit below his mark uh, it's so strange this Allmark contract right it, four, four years and five million dollars seemed like a strange bet when Swayman looked closer than four years away. Of course, now it looks really strange. And also keep in mind, Tuka Rask is not like fully out of the picture, which would push one of these guys out of the rotation. I'm not sure how, you know, whether Boston's trying to figure out which one they would keep in the rotation if Rask does come back. We'll keep watching the split closely. I feel like Boston's going to go with the guy who gives them the best chance to win. I don't think the contract is going to earn Allmark starts because, you know, the Boston needs to make a push while Bergeron and Marshan are as good as they are. So let's, uh, like, I, I think Swayman has the edge right now. If I had to guess who's going to start more games the rest of the season, but it still could be really close to 50 50. Yeah, I agree with you that Swayman has the edge. I just also think that Boston has had so much success not wearing a goalie into the ground. So even if they do think that Swayman is their starter, they're still going to maybe give Allmark the Halak treatment, which is still a decent number of games those past few years. Okay, ne- next let's go to the San Jose Sharks. They're 7-6-1, so they fought, they started the season really well. Now they're on our episode, unfortunately, of the bottom 16 teams. But they made it pretty far into the episode, so that's good. Uh, they're still, you know, a winning record overall if you don't count the overtime loss. Uh, though they did have a bad week, right? They suffered bad losses to Colorado and Winnipeg most recently to fall to this bottom half. The good news on San Jose, though, is Eric Carlson and Timo Meyer both returned on Saturday versus Colorado, and while the team lost 6-2 to two in that game against Colorado, both EK65 and Meyer picked up assists to keep their amazing season paces going. So, I don't know, probably not worth digging into these guys right now. We'll check in next week and see how the healthy Sharks look after a full week of being whole again. Brian, I'm going to give you a break on the Sharks unless you want to say something. I don't have any questions about them. No, we had a couple tweets today actually saying, like, Evander Kane's got what a couple weeks until his suspension is up and what are we thinking so why don't i just ask you that on the show how are uh how are you thinking about that or managing the evander kane uh like availability if he's out there in your league I mean, it's the kind of thing where on Yahoo, right, he's suspended, which means you can't stash him in IR+. plus. So you could add him now in anticipation. I guess it's the kind of thing where we haven't had any news, right? So we don't even know if he's going to play when the suspension is over. But obviously there is a chance that the suspension ends and he plays. It's the best case scenario. And then the best best case scenario is that then Evander Kane continues what he was doing last year and goes on an amazing run. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons why that won't happen and the Sharks won't be interested in bringing him back. But I guess if you're in a really great situation 
in your league and you could afford to be playing shorthanded for a couple of weeks. Maybe you could take a look at who your opponents are over the next couple of weeks and go, oh, I'm playing against the 13th and 14th ranked teams in my div, teams that are not even active. I guess I don't need to have such a great team or maybe I am okay to take a loss. So maybe he's someone you can try to give a shot to, try to, I guess, wait as long as you can. Uh, but yeah, I'm not like, I'm not super optimistic that he'll play, but obviously the upside is there. So maybe even if it's like a 25% chance, it might be worth it to roll the dice. That's the best I got for you, Brian. Yeah, no, I think that's uh that sounds right. I don't think there's like any more insight. I I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play another game this season. So you just have to be willing to tolerate a, a little bit of a of risk for, you know, some kind of upside. So you can see where your team is in the standings and how how you can handle that and how early you want to try and take that chance, but Elon, I think your advice was right on the nose. Okay, by the way, uh, Taylor Hall just scored a goal for what it's worth. Of course. But- this is against Sam Montembeau and the Habs. Like, I'm not reading into it at this point. I just think, if anything, if the, once again, if the news comes out that Jake Allen's going to be out for a while and Carey Price is also going to be out a while and you want volume, get Caden Primo. Like, the Habs cannot play Sam Montembeau. Like, their fans are just going to be like, what are you doing here? Like, this guy is not, like, they have to trade for a goalie or play. And I'm not saying Caden Primo is amazing, but he's at least a goalie that has a pedigree that should one day make him an NHL goalie. Sam Montembeau's terrible get out of here all right let's go to new jersey now i'm so excited to talk about the new jersey devils i've been waiting all day brian to talk to you about the devils because they have a lot of really interesting players that are potentially available in people's leagues and that are going off right now and that is specifically the line of dawson mercer so jack hughes is injured right so with jack hughes out dawson mercer has had a chance to center i guess the second line a line in the top six and his trio of you know himself jesper bratt and andreas jansen have just been crushing it like on saturday the Devils lost 5-2 to the Bruins, so that's not good, but both Devils goals came from that line, so Mercer and Bratt each tickled the twine and got a couple of points. Um, Mercer has five points in his last three games going into today, and the Devils right now are actually playing also against the Rangers, and they're losing 3-2, to two. and I'm pretty sure that line... Yeah, uh, an assist for Mercer. Brat has a goal and an assist. Looks like the Brat assist was on the power play, so yeah, that line struck again, and yeah... Uh, I'm really into these guys, and they're all low percentage owned guys on Yahoo. They're available, so I think this. I'm gonna. Add, I'll, I'll give you the numbers, Brian, and then you can answer if this is a pause the podcast moment where people need to be going to grab these guys. So Mercer, like I said, five points in his last three, bring him to ten points in thirteen games on the year. Add an assist to that for his point today. Jesper Bratt, nine points in his last eight games going into today after going scoreless in five games to start the season, and now he has two more points today. So he's just on this insane run. And going into today, both were actually behind Andreas Janssen's 11 points in 13 games, which is leading the team. Uh, Brian, as, maybe as a side question, who to you when you were preparing the show was the biggest like WTF team point leader between Andreas Janssen, Evan Rodriguez, and Rasmus Asplund? Definitely Rasmus Asplund. You know, uh, do you, I think of the the strong bad uh, email, you know, your head explode. I think of your head Asplund. Do you, do you remember one. that? <laughs> okay. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah, so he's the weirdest one. Uh, but how about Andreas Janssen? Oh, like, you know, we were into him last year, hoping for big things. And this year, I still like was definitely not hoping for anything good anymore. But here he is on one of the hottest lines in hockey right now. And he is seeing a bit of an increased role, too. He's seeing a, another minute per night compared to last season at five on five. Uh, of course, Janssen also has six goals on 21 shots. I mean, that whole line, Janssen, Brett, and Mercer is on 
fire right now in a way that's unlikely to sustain. But it's at least interesting to see if it's a catalyst for some kind of consistent production from these guys who we're not used to seeing that come from. I've actually shared on on Twitter, uh, like how I've been so ready to stream out Mercer. Like I just streamed him in for a game onto my uh, Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League team, my Cupful team. KKUPFL.com if you want more info. And uh, I can't get rid of them, which is great. Like, it's a happy problem. Um, but right now, I'm curious to see how high he can go. Like, I don't have a ton of faith in Janssen. I have some faith in Jesper Bratt. But Dawson Mercer is all new. So I'm really curious to see where he can take this as these guys, yeah, are like one of the hottest lines in hockey. They're kind of up there with Anaheim, the way they've been playing lately. Although I, I think Anaheim might be a little more for real than these guys. But I'm curious to see how uh, how this goes for the next couple of weeks and how long they can keep it up. Like I said, if they they can't quite keep it up this way, but I, uh, like where the where they land when the dust settles, uh, I think Brat and Mercer could definitely be rosterable. And I think Andreas Janssen, even though he leads the team right now, he's not at the top of my list of devils, but he still could hold some rosterable status. Yeah, and don't forget, Jesper Bratz been someone we've brought up over the past yeah. few years. And I remember he was actually super high on Dom Lucision's spreadsheet going into this year. And I was kind of like, come on, Dom, you really think Jesper Bratz going to have like a 60-whatever point pace season? And so far, he's looking even better. So maybe Dom knew what he was talking about. Brian, I did something I like never do in Cupful today. Like, I'm going into next week. I had one move left this week. And, you know, this week is over. I've won this week. So yay for me. And so I was like, you know, making a move to look towards next week. And usually what you do is you take a look. You know, I looked at my team on each day of the week. And I saw, okay, on Tuesday. Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, I'm already full. Like, there's no point adding a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday player because I'm not going to have room to fit them in my lineup unless I sit someone else. If I want to, you know, gain games, I should be adding players who play on the off days. And that's the strategy. So I looked at all the off day guys and I looked, yeah, maybe the best option for me is like a Kyle Palmieri or something on on Islanders. But then, you know what? I just said, I, I'm going to throw caution to the wind, not even worry about games played. And I just went and grabbed Jesper Bratt because he's on just such a good run. And I feel like if I didn't add him, fine, I'd maybe lose out on a game from Kyle Palmieri that I, you know, I would have been able to fit into my roster. But on the other hand, maybe I'd kick myself in a couple weeks when I would have seen that I didn't add Jesper Bratt when I had the chance. So I don't know. Right now, I'm going to ride this wave and we'll, we'll see how well he does. But yeah, I did something that I normally don't do and I hope it won't come bite me in the butt in this matchup against Patrick. Oh, another piece of news, by the way, about the Devils. Apparently, Mackenzie Blackwood got hurt today. Oh, no! He had a collision with Capococco, and now Jonathan Bernier is in the net. So uh, this is breaking news. I don't know the extent of the injury, but if you need a goalie, it uh, looks like if Blackwood's going to be out again, that's going to be a lot of starts for Jonathan Bernier once again. And now they don't have Scott Wedgwood anymore to, uh, you know, take the backup job. So I don't even know who that's going to be. I guess some guy from the minors. But uh, hopefully Blackwood's okay. He's been really good. But uh, now he's hurt. So too bad. He shut out the Islanders. 42 safe shutout earlier in the week. So poor Blackwood just can't get going this season. Oh, that's a bummer. I just uh, added Mackenzie Blackwood in another league where I was surprised he was dropped, even though, you know, I don't see him seeing a ton more than like a 50-55% share of the New Jersey starts. I was, yeah, I was excited by that performance against the Islanders. And now I am, uh, yeah, what a bummer. I did see like a clip of the highlight, though. And it's like Kako driving to the net and elbow it, like elbow connecting to Blackwood's head as he moved past him in the crease to then score. So uh, I guess we'll see what happens. But 
get your Jonathan Berniers because I think having the devil's goalie is a is a good goalie to have. And Bernier, like he's had some high highs and some low lows, but I think overall Bernier's had a pretty good year. Uh, f- like it doesn't look like it. Like nine oh six eight percentage, fifty percent quality starts. He's had three awesome starts and three very bad starts, but he's playing substantially above his expected Fenwick save percentage, which is good news for Jonathan Bernier uh, and for the Devils if they need to lean on him. So yeah, keep tabs. This is this could all be irrelevant. 24 48 hours but keep tabs yeah okay well uh wishing you the best mr uh mr blackwood okay let's go to philly now they are seven four and two on the year we talked about them last week uh but now they've fallen to the bottom 16 here i'll just mention quickly that they have some interesting new lines which they rolled out some interesting lines on saturday with kevin hayes back in the picture so it was Giroux, couturier and james van reamsdyke getting up to the top line which meant that travis konechny went all the way down i think to the third line with scott lawton and Derek brassard and then hayes was centering atkinson and farabee so yeah not great news for Travis Konechny getting bumped from the top line and I guess you could see why he's pointless in four games now after starting the season with eight points in his first night so super hot start now he's disappeared Brian if you have Konechny are you like panicking trying to sell or is it the opposite like this won't last he's gonna get back on the top line soon and regardless he's really good and now's a great time to try and get him I don't feel that way. Like, Konechny is one of the guys who consistently has this giant gap between his best and worst case scenarios. It looked real promising for Konechny at the start of the season. But as you mentioned, he's slowed down. And anyone who's rostered Konechny in the past couple of years is probably really tired of that inconsistency. So at this point, I have Konechny basically in the pack in Philadelphia behind Couturier and Giroux. And the pack includes, by the way, Kevin Hayes coming back. Uh, see if he's out there. He's had some really great runs the last couple of years and could be a full season rosterable kind of guy. And also check out if James Van Riemsdyk is out there in your league. I, I streamed him in and let him go after Friday's game because of the schedule. But something has got to give with JVR's numbers. He put, he's putting up some great shot rates, but he's shooting just 3% at 5-on-5 five five when he usually shoots like 12, even 14%. Now Van Riemsdyk is on the top line with Giroud and Couturier. I like what I'm seeing from him, and I think he could be a good guy to get on your roster before he takes flight. And look, if he doesn't perform in the next couple games, just drop him again. But I, I have a hunch that he is about to take off, especially if he holds on with Jerome Couturier. Yeah, it's an amazing spot. And he was bumped off the top power play for a bit, but he was back on PP1 on Saturday. Again, they did lose to Dallas, so they might just shift up all the lines. So maybe you want to wait before you're making your speculative Philly ads to see what the latest lines are. And you could do that by going to gamedaylinetweets.com or following at gamedaylines. And thanks so much to Shams for helping, or maybe doing the majority, I should say, of line tweets from that amazing account. He's also tweeting out news at what is it? So Game Day News NHL on Twitter. Uh, the thing is, I just use the bots on our Discord server, right? They're amazing, where we just like have channels that have all of Sham's retweets. So I don't even need to know what Twitter accounts. But yeah, and then uh, the starting goalies are uh, at Game Day Goalies. So we got all of our, all the news. Basically, if you're a patron, you're going to know all the news. If you're not a patron, follow those accounts and maybe see what the Philly lines are and see if something gets shaken up after that bad loss. Uh, Ryan Ellis also returned in that game, I should mention, and he had an assist to bring him to five points in four games. So nice start for Ellis. Uh, maybe at some point we'll, we'll talk about him once we get a bigger sample size. Okay, now we're actually through the bottom 16 teams in the league as of now, but we've got some new entrants uh, into the top 16 that weren't there last week. So we have some teams that have done well enough lately in this past week to leapfrog some of the other teams. And one of them is the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Obviously, it helps that they've played a league-high 16 games, but hey, so have Montreal. 
and we talked about them like an hour ago. So uh, Detroit, we got to give them some kudos for being in the top 16 in the league. They're 8-6-2. and two. Uh, They started the week with a huge win over the Oilers on Tuesday that nobody expected. Uh, then they got shut out by Zach Fucali and the Capitals on Thursday. So not their fault. Fucali was in his first ever career game. Obviously, he was going to get a shutout and no one was going to be able to get anything past him. Uh, but then Detroit beat the Habs in OT, like we talked about before on Saturday. Uh, I can't really think of anything new to say about this team that we haven't said <laughs> on previous episodes. Like that top line of Larkin, Bertuzzi, and, and Lucas Raymond is fire like you definitely want in on it if you still can somehow i'm sure you can't uh they're all hovering around a point per game bertuzzi like even higher anyone who didn't draft more at cider like blew it big time like he had another assist on saturday that brought him to 12 points in 16 games on the year i'm one of those people by the way i didn't draft more at cider i really should have i expected him to be decent but i didn't expect him to do anything like this actually side note i placed a bet i'm not a big gambler but cider was doing so well and i was just curious what his calder odds are and i found some site i don't know what the odds are now but like just earlier this week i saw a site that had him listed at nine to one to win the calder and yeah like lucas raymond is doing well dawson mercer are doing well but even if you say it's between those three i would say it's like a 33 percent chance at least of cider winning that award so him being at nine to one i really like those odds i put some money down so now i'm a really big more cider fan yeah i didn't get him in my fantasy leagues but i'm gonna win some money if he wins the calder so i'm happy either way uh I guess the noteworthy thing I could point out on Detroit that maybe has some fantasy impact for people in terms of uh, some advice we could give is that Philip Herodic is on a really nice run. He has four assists in his last four games, seven points in 10 games since getting scratched. Uh, I streamed him in for a Sunday game like a couple weeks ago, and I like haven't been able to let him go because he keeps getting points for me. I assumed I was going to drop him. Now I think I'm probably going to be dropping Josh Morrissey, who only has one assist in his last five games. I should like Brad. Do you concur that I should hold Heronic and drop Morrissey at this point if I only could keep one of these defensemen? Yeah, I do. I, I'm not sure if Heronic has actually gotten better or if things are just clicking a little more. Regardless, this is the most life we've seen from Heronic in a little while, and now he does have that offensive upside we hoped for, which is more than Josh Morrissey's. Of course, less to offer in peripheral. So pick your guy. Morrissey's the safe floor, but Heronic is the the fun upside swing, and I would take Heronic until he stops producing. And by the way, mea culpa on Moritz Sider. I uh, yeah. I definitely had it wrong going into the season on Cider. He really, like, he has five power play points in 16 games. That's a 26 power play point pace, which is something I did not see coming at all. I didn't think he was getting on the, like, going to be on the top unit this soon or at all this season. And there he is, and he's crushing it there, too. So, uh, yeah, way to go, Moritz Cider, and way to go anybody who managed to get him on their fantasy teams against my own advice. And way to go me, who's going to win over $1,000 if he wins the Calder Trophy. I'll take you for a dinner, Brian, if that happens. Thanks. Okay. Uh, one drink, right? After that, you have to pay for your own drinks, because let's not go too crazy. But okay, okay. so <laughs> Ben and Lewis did a great job talking about this next team, the Los Angeles Kings, on this week's episodes of Short Shifts. We don't have to go too hard into the hot streak guys like Deneau, Athanasiu. Like, they've covered them. You should probably take a look at those guys, right? And Ben and Lewis gave lots of great reasons why. Also, Jonathan Quick has been so great. Again, it's been covered on the Keeping Carlson feed. If you just like listen, by the way, to the Keeping Carlson like Sunday episodes and not short shifts on Tuesday and Thursday, or I guess Wednesday and Friday, you're missing out. Like our Sunday shows generally get more downloads than the short shifts shows. And I feel like do yourself a favor, just subscribe to the feed so you'll get every show. And this is like a 20 to 25 minute like short shift, as is the name, and you get all the hits from the week so that you don't miss out on something just because it happened on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, right? So you should listen to those shows and they covered the Kings and they did a really great job. But okay, Brian, some 
new players to talk about that I'm currently intrigued by are two guys in the exact same position in the lineup, like both on line one and power play one with Andre Kopitar, but their numbers are going in complete opposite directions. So I'm talking about Adrian Kempe and Dustin Brown. Kempe has five points in his last five games from that spot, while Brown is pointless in those five games. Uh, so how is it that two players on the ice basically always at the same time, one of them's getting all the points, one of them's getting none? Is it just like a points participation thing and bad luck, or is it just like Dustin Brown can't keep up in his campaign and Kopitar making all the magic happen? Like, what do I do right now? I actually have Dustin Brown in three of my leagues, and I'm like pretty disappointed at the moment, but also it's kind of hard to justify to myself dropping a top-line, top-power play guy like Dustin Brown, and he's still taking shots, so... What do you think? Is this the kind of thing where if you have Brown and Campes in free agency, it's an easy swap? Or do you think now nah, they're in the same situation, forget about what happened before, like expect them to be the same pretty much? Yeah, more the latter. I think it's going to even out between Brown and Campe. Brown is cold. Campe's hot. Uh, the tables might turn at some point. And we know that if anybody does lose time in the current deployment they have, it's very likely going to be Adrian Kempe and not Dustin Brown. So absolutely go ahead and get Adrian Kempe while he's hot. Like we like seeing him like this and he's done well on the top line in the past, but Dustin Brown is the guy we know is going to stay there and probably be at least serviceable the rest of the way. Everything like, of course, you know, every year Dustin Brown gets a little bit older and a little less exciting, but he still is, uh, is with Anze Kopitar on the power play and at even strength, which is worth something for sure. So I wouldn't swap out Brown for Kempe, but I would add Kempe and uh, be patient with Brown if you can afford to. But I wonder in some leagues if you could just drop him and then pick him up again when the points start coming. Yeah, for what it's worth, I'm planning on holding him this week. He has a couple off day games. I believe it's like Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday. And it's not like one of these like annoying Wednesdays where like I have to wait so long just to get his first game. It's like my lineup's full on Tuesday anyways, like I said. And Monday, there's only a couple games. So I'm happy to have Brown at least for now. And then, yeah, if he has another three pointless games, maybe it'll be time to reassess. Uh, by the way, another two assists for Kale Clagg. Uh, we talked about him before as the new like top power play guy with Dowdy and Walker out. Uh, so he's like he gets assists and like literally nothing else like no shots no hits no blocks like that statute is just an, a one in the assist column and then all zero so up to you fantasy manager to decide if that's worth it for you for him to get let's say if he gets like two assists every four games for you would that be worthwhile and so you can make the decision if you want to add kale clegg well, maybe like one of them will be on the power play okay next let's go to vegas they're nine six and oh so they're definitely now in the top 16 and i think they're gonna stay there because mark stone is back so i think with mark stone back this is like a whole new team like i don't want to like overreact but also i think we should like mark stone is that good that i think he turns like a, a middling team to like a great team that's the impact that mark stone has brian you could correct me if you disagree so he came back on saturday only only one assist in the 7-4 win over Vancouver, but he was skating with Dadanov and Stevenson at even strength and on the power play, and both of them had big games that I'm totally happy to attribute to playing with Mark Stone. Like, no offense to Dadanov and Stevenson, like, obviously they deserve their, like, two goals and one assist and six shots for Dadanov and two assists for Chandler, but I'm assuming it helped that they had the amazing Mark Stone back with them. So, Brian, does Dadanov and Chandler Stevenson, like, shoot up to the top of your watch list if they're available at this point now that they're playing with Mark Stone? Like, are we potentially here at a pause the pod moment, especially with Dadanov after his big game? Like, Dadanov's basically in the spot that Pacioretty is usually in, and obviously Pacioretty is better than Dadanov, but Pacioretty does it really well in that spot, playing with Stone and Stevenson, and now Dadanov is there. It's primo, primo deploymento. It's really hard for me not to recommend going and grabbing Dadanov while he's playing on the line with Stone and on the top power play. 
Yeah, I agree. I I totally agree with what you said about Mark Stone being able to transform a team like he can carry a line and he gives uh, Vegas another line that they they haven't had, right? They've had Smith, Marcio Carlson doing the best they can. And now uh, Mark Stone is back to take some of the opposing team's uh, attention off that other line. And maybe that's actually good. Like, I think Mark Stone is going to help everything in Vegas is what I'm trying to say, including the guys who are playing with him. Uh, Dodonov would be really interesting to see if he can thrive on the wing with extended exposure to Mark Stone. And Chandler Stevenson, of course, this is good for him too. But Dodonov is absolutely worth a look because I do want the guy, like Mark Stone is one of those guys, you want the guy playing with him, and that's Dadanov. And I don't know how many other candidates there are. So I think Dadanov is going to get a good look here and has a half-decent shot of making the most of it. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Vegas has too many other options, right? And by the way, Pacioretty, he's like out of his walking boot. Like eventually Pacioretty will come back. So Dad Donov is going to go back to the third line eventually, like unless someone else gets injured. But for now, he's just in such a good spot. By the way, I don't want to uh, sell short like Marcheseau, Riley Smith, Shea Theodore, Petrangelo. They're all on super hot runs after their slow starts. Maybe again, I'm like oversimplifying things, but I'm just going to attribute the whole thing to Mark Stone and say now like throw out whatever happened while Stone was away. And I'm ready to just expect like Marcheseau, Smith, Theodore, Petrangelo to all meet their preseason expectations moving forward. Uh, we don't really need to dig into them. But yeah, Brian, I traded, as we know, famously Tyson Barry for Marcheseau. And at first, it didn't look that great because Barry hasn't been as bad as I was worried he would be. But Marcheseau has been like so good that it's like been worth it. Like another couple goals from Marcheseau in the last game. I love this guy. Next up, we've got the Nashville Predators who, yeah, weren't in the show last week, but definitely they are in the top 16 now, maybe closer to like the top 12. Like they have won their last three games. That's shot them up the league standings. And holy moly, Roman Yosi, Matt Duchesne and Mikhail Granlin are having such amazing seasons. They actually all sit at 16 points in 15 games. Now, somehow Mikhail Granlin is only 30% rostered on Yahoo, even though he has six points in his last three games on the back of the four assist performance versus the Blues on Thursday. Then he scored a goal on Saturday versus Arizona. Brian, I streamed him in for the three games in four days in our Keeper League. And I assumed I was going to be dropping him by now. But like, how can I drop him, right? Like, he's now become a hold on my team. Like, I like him a lot more than Dustin Brown. If I had to drop a forward at this point, how can I drop Mikhail Granlund and hold Dustin Brown, right? So I don't know. Like, I guess I just said that adding Dodonov was a pause the podcast moment. And I guess I also said that adding Jesper Bratt was a pause the podcast moment. Do I have to say it again for Mikhail Granlund? Unfortunately, people probably can't fit all of these players on their teams. But I'm so excited about all of these players that are low percentage rostered on Yahoo still. For sure. Like, Grenland, if he's available in your league, this is, uh, like, a a theme in this episode has been if they're hot, they're hot. And uh, that's the case for Mikhail Grenland, who I don't think is really doing substantially better than he ever really has. Um, so, like, I'm not buying in that he's a good long-term hold and you want to make a sacrifice to add Granlin to your roster. But holy cow, has he been on a run? And this is, like, one of those times I tweeted a couple weeks ago, like, who's the guy who always ends up on your roster despite all your efforts to avoid him, but you just can't? And my answer is Mikhail Granlund. And I actually, in that moment, decided, like, I'm done with Granlund. Like, I'm not giving him another chance, even though he looks like the most appealing. And, of course, now he's going off. So congratulations to everybody who did take the Granlund plunge once again. And uh, I, I congratulate you and for what he's done for your fantasy team. But I don't expect it to last. So don't get too comfy, but enjoy the ride. 
Right, okay. It won't last like at this pace, like over a point per game, but he is like on the getting the primo deployment with Matt Duchesne, who seems to be resurging himself. So I think Granlin could end up being worth a hold. But anyways, it doesn't matter. You don't have to make your decision for the rest of the season right now. You just have to know to grab Granlin now while he's hot. Okay, so that's it. We've gone through now every single team in the league over these last couple of shows. So a couple quick hits to end the show from teams we talked about last week. Uh, so in Edmonton, Mike Smith, it turns out his injury is more serious than expected. So that stinks if you have Mike Smith. Uh, good news if, for anyone who added Miko Koskinen when Smith went down because it looks like they hit the jackpot. They've got another starting goalie on Edmonton and Koskinen isn't amazing. Uh, today, a classic though, Koskinen game, right? It doesn't matter. Like He led in four goals on 39 shots. So, you know, not terrible, but not great. But it was enough because Edmonton scored five and they won five to four against St. Louis. So you're just going to get wins. Like, it doesn't matter who their goal... Like, I said this before. I said this last week, right? It doesn't matter who their goalie is. They're probably still going to win. So if you're in a league where wins are especially valued, then you want the Edmonton goalie. And right now, that's going to be Miko Koskinen. I'd imagine he's going to play a lot more than Stuart Skinner. Uh, then over in Calgary, Oliver, don't call me Killington Shillington, uh, had another two points in three games this past week. And he got an assist today against Ottawa. So that's now 10 points in 14 games. I don't know. So, Brian, I don't know if you have a comment about the Koskinen thing or about Shillington. Like, I, like what do we do with the Shillington guy? He's not <laughs> getting good deployment. How does he keep getting these points? Yeah, nothing's changed from last week where Koskinen, you said specifically, like he gets four goals, <laughs> a four goal head start and still has a good chance at pulling off the win. So that happened. And for Shillington, we said, like, I'm, I don't know how he's doing what he's doing. I, I, I'm feeling still fairly convinced it's a lot of right place, right time, which may be a skill and it may not be. He's not someone who's ever struck me as being someone who's going to be terribly offensive, which is what we said last week. And, and that still holds, even though, uh, he, you know, keeps putting the points up. But one thing that we do have to at least give him credit for is he is approaching two shots per game, which is huge because he's actually never been, uh, above or even at the one shot per game mark uh, in his career to this point. So he is looking a little more involved offensively. He is seeing more minutes than he's seen before. So maybe this is uh this is the start of a new, of a new fantasy relevant defenseman in Calgary. I mean, Lord knows we could use one, right? So why not Oliver Shillington? Well, I can tell you why not is because he gets like no power play time. I'd be pretty surprised if he was able to beat a 40 point pace the rest of the season, but it's a nice run he's on for now. And like I said last week, I'm keeping an open mind to exactly how much he can continue of his current run. Yeah, like, to be honest, like, I know, like, I also want to say I'm keeping an open mind. But to be fair, I really haven't. Like, I haven't even considered adding him in any of my leagues. So I still kind of think if you have him and you could sell him, that would be a great time to do it. If you if you added him uh, otherwise, like, I guess hold on until he cools off. But it's just, I've never been one to expect offense from a defenseman who doesn't get power play time. And usually that turns out to be the right way to think. So we'll see how long this lasts. Uh, somehow Ryan Hartman is producing huge numbers on Minnesota from the bottom six and the second power play in minnesota so another guy that you wouldn't expect because of his deployment to produce but hartman had three assists yesterday on rem pitlick's natural hat trick uh so also like kudos to rem pitlick but man hartman 11 points in 14 games now 47 shots that's 3.4 shots per game like everything except for his line makes hartman look like a star this year and he's still available i think in free agency in both of the leagues where i would be able to add him Uh, should i be adding him or is this like another shillington thing where even though we're keeping an open mind it's really hard to pull the trigger I was actually really ready last week. We had him uh, like on the schedule to talk about Ryan Hartman. 
And uh, we didn't, I don't think we actually ended up talking about him, but I was reading uh, an article from Sarah McClellan about how Ryan Hartman is trying to like reinvent himself and fashion himself into like this more offensive player than he's ever been before. Keep in mind, Ryan Hartman is 27 years old and I think he's already been through a couple like reinventions to make the NHL and then hold in the NHL and then hold with a new team in the NHL. Uh, I liked last week that Hartman was playing on the top line with Kaprizov. Uh, like we liked uh, Joel Eriksson Eck for that reason. But now that Hartman is not playing with Kaprizov on the top line, is there still reason to like him? Apparently he's turning uh, Rem Pitlick into like Rem Pitlick. Obviously I'm saying turning him into, we don't know anything about Rem Pitlick because he's barely played in the NHL so far, but good on uh, good on Ryan Hartman for continuing to be able to produce points from wherever he is. I think he's trying to play with a little more offensive flair. Uh, but again, he's not in a great spot in the lineup right now, right? He's playing with Rem Pitlick and Jordan Greenway. We're not expecting uh, a hat trick to come from that line every game. And until he's, like until or unless Hartman gets back with Kaprizov or Fiala for any measure of time. I'm not that interested, but I am like good with him for a stream, right? Three and a half shots per game so far on average. And he scored on 15% of his shots, which is good. Even if he just scores on 10% of his shots and he takes three and a half shots per game, that's a goal every few games, which is reason to consider rostering him in deep enough leagues or streaming him in shallower ones. Yeah. And he's going to be the kind of guy where you stream him. He's going to score a goal for you. And then you're going to be like, well, now what do I do? I can't drop the guy. And then you'll end up holding him and you won't be disappointed until you are. And then you drop him. So I think that's going to be the story with Ryan Hartman. But good for him yeah having an amazing season so on the other side of the coin let's end the show with one cold streak a player who also is not getting great deployment but unsurprisingly i guess isn't getting points but it is surprising because everyone expected this guy to be really good this year and that's Mackenzie weger over on florida weger had this like huge breakout last year for the panthers he had 36 points in 54 games it's a 55 point pace then he started this year like pretty strong he had assists in his first couple games he had like four assists after six games but now he's gone completely cold offensively only one point in his last seven games and i'm seeing that he's been getting basically no power play time actually got pp2 in the last game uh against tampa bay i guess that was on saturday but before that he had a bunch of games with like zero percent of the power which is normal just for the record yeah so yeah i don't know how like Weger got so many points last year i I just assumed he's like this like really amazing defenseman that's like now finally had the chance to break out but now this year i'm starting to think maybe he is like kind of what i expected him to be you know last year when i kept on expecting him to slow down where he's like you know great for peripherals he plays big minutes he's gonna get your point every now and then but uh, you're not gonna be a 55 point defenseman if you're not even getting power play time even on a highly offensive florida team anyways that's my take but let me know if you think that it's just been bad luck and you know Mackenzie Weger is going to get back to getting closer to what he did last year because right now he's been not great especially if your league if your league doesn't count hits then he's been doing nothing for you yeah no i think this is status quo ish for Mackenzie Weger last year uh, Mackenzie Weger was this for most of the year except he went on one huge run and it was uh, partially because I think I think it was partially because Aaron Eckblad was out where he had 14 points over 16 games and uh, none of them came on the power play, but I still think uh, he was able to, I don't know, get in on more offense. So that was my theory then. And that theory kind of holds. He also like he had a couple really hot runs. So I think he could be the sort of defenseman who can run really hot and cold and you want to roster him like maybe a good comparable would be Matthias Ekholm, 
who's never been worth rostering for a full season, but goes on these like 10 or 15 game heaters that make him really exciting to have. And the rest of the time, he's not like free, he's free agent fodder. So I think uh, if you're holding on to Uyghur, holding out for something amazing to happen, I, I don't think that's reasonable. I think under normal circumstances, he's a 35, maybe 40 point player, but he can get super hot. So if you see him heating up, then you might want to go and get Uyghur, but otherwise you can leave him be. Yeah, I guess if you have Uyghur and you're seeing Shillington getting all those points of free agency, that's going to be a very tempting swap. I'd probably hold Uyghur, but maybe I'm just like not giving Shillington enough credit. But uh, yeah, in a lot of leagues, you may be able to let go of Uyghur at this point. Uh, Brian, okay, we did it. We've gone through all the teams. We've gone through the quick hits. We've been talking for over a couple hours. I think it's time to wrap this baby up. What a fun show. Thanks again so much to everyone for listening to the show. We really appreciate you supporting us and uh, you know downloading the podcast. If you want to subscribe to get all the episodes, that obviously helps us, but hopefully that helps you more. Like we, we don't, We're not asking for favors here. We want it to be very worth your while and obviously give us your feedback if you think there's something we could do better or differently we got some good feedback last week you'll notice i didn't talk too much about like how is patrick kane doing so well and is he going to keep this up you know i got one piece of feedback saying maybe we dug a little bit too much into the the super superstar so we're ready to listen to all the feedback and try to incorporate it into the show and make it as good as we can so hit us up uh if you like the show like we said at the top we'd love for you to give us that five star review with a comment on apple Podcasts, and we're going to be doing that draw at the end of the month so if you leave us a five star review then just send us a tweet with a screenshot of the review being like this was me and then at the end of the month we'll uh, draw and we'll give an awesome keeping carlson t-shirt to the winner of that draw the michael roffle as brian called it uh, but okay what else can i say here we've got our patreon uh, program which has been a lot of fun like we have our discord community where the patrons hang out and we give each other advice and we have really fun chats and it's just a really fun place and i'd love for you to give it a shot right it's only what is it now like november 14th so you can sign up as a patron right now if you're not one yet and hang out until november 30th and if you don't like it you could leave you won't even get charged right because uh, patreon only charges the first of the month so it's a little hack for you we just want you to come and try out the community we think you're gonna like it so that's keepingcarlson.com slash patron for your gate way into our community and the first thing you'll get if you join soon is our patron cast on wednesday which is a bonus show just for the patrons we have a channel in our discord where we're collecting all the questions you could join right now throw in your question and then we'll answer it live on a show for the patrons on wednesday night and there you go more bonus content along with short shifts keeping carlson a stream scheme we're giving you as much as we can and even more to the patrons but okay with that brian let's cue the outro music why don't you go ahead and read us the credits we can all get out of here all right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our super supporters, who support us with uh, with a little more. And one of the perks they get is having their names read in the credits at the end of the show. So thank you very much to Patty, Rob, David, Derek, Tom, Andrea, Christopher, and Flash. We appreciate all of your support. Thanks to Kevin A. Bear for all of his work with the Cacupful so far this season. And thank you to our wonderful co-commish team and the Cacupful again, kkupfl.com. If you want to learn more about our amazing, the best fantasy league in the world. And I said fantasy league, not just fantasy hockey league. And also you mentioned Elon already, but thanks to Shams and all his work with Game Day Lines, Game Day News NHL and Game Day Goldie's Twitter accounts. Logo art by brandonweave.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Edge. Okay, great job. As always, Brian, and I'll be talking to you soon on Wednesday. Uh, for the listeners, you'll be hearing next the short shifts coming Wednesday morning, so lots of content coming at you. Uh, and until then, Brian, let's just tell people what they can do. Please. 
keep doing everything you can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone.